0: Uh, Hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello.
1: (laughs) This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking two movies this week, The Shape of Water and The Disaster Artist.
2: I heard that Seth Rogen's really good as a monster in
1: Shape of Water. Oh, hi, Abe.
2: Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction.
1: We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other film movie topics. This is episode 310.
2: 3-1-0. We're back to the evens, and I don't know how I feel about that.
1: <laughs> we'll be back to the odd numbers next week. That's just how. Is that how how it works? That's how math works, I think. Oh,
2: okay,
1: all right. All all of math. That's how it's all of math works that way. Uh, This week we have another double double hitter.
2: You mean a double feature?
1: No, I like double header. We have a double header.
2: Double? You said double hitter before. I said a
1: double heater. That's what I said. We had two of the pitchers from the sandlot. We had double heaters.
2: Okay, all right.
1: His name wasn't Heater, but he threw heat. His it, name all, wasn't it, heat, it, it. It adds heat. in my mind. It adds up. So uh, there we go. Regardless, we have two movies we're talking about this week. Once again, we've spoiled you last week with two movies, and we're like, why not do it again? So this week we're talking *The Shape of Water* from director Guillermo del Toro, and *The Disaster Artist* from director James Franco. That's a sentence I don't often say from those two directors in one sentence. But, yeah, there you go. Uh, So, yeah, we're talking The Shape of Water and The Disaster Artist. And joining us to discuss both of these films, we have, from Movie Bill Magazine, he's just finished gobbling down some key lime pie, it's Todd Gilchrist.
3: Hi, guys. How are you?
1: Good. And also joining us for the first time this week, he's a contributor for Forbes, Nerdist, and The Village Voice. He's my favorite customer. Hi, doggy, It's Luke Thompson.
2: Oh hi guys! What's new with you? Oh, Luke. I didn't know it was you, Johnny. <laughs> That's me. Hi Aaron.
1: <laughs> Luke, good, good to have you joining us for the first time on the show.
2: Yeah, welcome glad to, to the here. show. Very good. Second, there, I thought it was actually Tommy Wiseau. I mean, I, I just couldn't tell.
0: <laughs> I've been in for Halloween. Todd can attest to that when we had a show before.
3: <laughs> I can indeed.
0: <laughs> well no yeah always good to have new guests on the show
1: and uh todd of course i'm glad to have you back as well
3: i'm always happy to be on the on the show guys i, I love it <laughs> that's, that's what we like to hear effusive phrase right
2: in my heart there Well, <laughs> uh, yeah
1: <laughs> that's all right <laughs> enough with the pleasantries let's <laughs> let's get just to show notes real quick first up we have a new commentary track up um it is for the empire strikes back uh, I've heard of it. i uh, heard of it. Yeah, it's a good one. I was joined by uh, by uh, Yancey Burns, Brandon Peters, and Scott Mendelson. We had a good long chat talking about Empire. We had a lot of fun. We had way too much fun and debates talking about Empire and other things involving Star Wars. So much so that we could probably record another commentary track about Empire and have like an entirely new conversation. And it'd also be worthwhile. But this one that we have now, very worthwhile. A lot of fun to do. A lot of. I assume a lot of fun to listen to uh, because that's what I do. I assume about my own podcast. And um, so, yeah, if you want to check that out now, it's up on iTunes and Boom, You can find that and get yourself ready for The Last Jedi by listening to a commentary full of people that have nothing to do with Star Wars besides liking watching it. Um, So, yeah, that's out of the way. Uh, What else? iTunes iTunes reviews and ratings. Good to get those. Helps out the show. Helps other people find the show. If you want to log into iTunes, search for Out Now there and Abe, you can do that. You can give us a star rating. That'd be cool. You can even write us a little review of some kind.
2: Yeah, that'd be very, very much appreciated. And thank you in advance. Yeah. Um,
1: Even if it's negative? Yeah. Hey, we welcome all types <laughs> of reviews. <laughs> we, we like creative feedback. If I just-
2: mean... You know, we hope that we hope that it's not negative. Ideally yeah,
1: <laughs> Ideally someone's like, All right, it's minute four of this podcast. When do they get into the disaster artist? And we're still talking about <laughs> iTunes reviews, and they're thinking, Okay, maybe I will write
0: something and it won't be nice. We embrace this. We embrace the concept of this happening. <laughs> but, you can cry, you can laugh, you can express yourself. Please don't hurt each other. There you go. <laughs> Exactly. exactly.
1: There you go. It's a trip seeing Wiseau like on Jimmy Kimmel talking about this. Whatever, we'll get we'll get there. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get to this.
2: It's very meta. We'll
1: get to the fact that Tommy Wiseau like is well known now for various reasons. Um, yeah. let's let's move on though. Let's get to know everybody. Where each week we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast. We better get to know everybody. That's good. That wasn't bad. I like that one. I'll take it. <laughs> I have a question for you guys. All right. All right. What is the max number of belts one should wear?
2: Hmm. I mean, are we talking this decade or like 80s, 90s? Well, or let's just it, overall?
1: Well, say you're presented with an unlimited number of belts. Like what's where, at what point are you like? You know what?
0: This is enough. Ideally zero. You want to get the perfect fit pants. They just don't exist. Unless you get them custom tailored all the time. Yeah, because we're film critics and we can afford that. <laughs>
2: I'm going to go with the, uh, the standard one. I mean, that's kind of an accessory within itself, right? Sometimes you don't even need them.
1: Todd, I'm looking to hear some difference here.
0: All right. I mean, are uh, you talking
2: about, like, pants belts or ammunition belts? Yeah, because like I was like, I Neo's think... got, like, 42 belts, and let's that say, makes sense for let, him.
0: Let's say for the
3: sake of this conversation, waist belts. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to agree with One. <laughs> Um, That said, if I were Michael Jackson on the cover of the Bad album, it might be two or three. And I think that would be entirely appropriate. And I wonder uh, if that may not have been an aesthetic influence on one Tommy Wiseau. Given the the hair and the glasses it's hard to
1: not see that actually now that i think about it
2: it's pretty definite I wait think. a minute are we making a conspiracy theory here no we're
1: just talking about local new orleans legend tommy wiseau <laughs> <laughs> have you that
2: got if you got a question i do have i do have a question for you guys where do you think tommy wiseau is really from or do you believe that he's from louisiana
0: well, he actually admitted on Kimmel for the first time that he's from Europe. This was, like, a groundbreaking yeah. thing this
2: week. I did not watch that interview.
0: Oh, it's, yeah, it's, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes, actually. Remind yeah. me. It I'll actually blew Franco's mind. He was like, he's never admitted to this before. Yeah,
1: like, Kimmel started talking over it, and Franco's like, wait, stop. This is not things that we talk about all the time. <laughs> like, where did this yeah. come
3: from? Yeah. <laughs> Well, did he back off of it or did he just, I mean, did he no, continue he, he, to own up to it? No, he said he, he
1: said specifically, at least on cable, I don't know if there's other areas, but he, like, you know, in front of a live audience, he said, no, I'm from Europe. But like he grew up in New Orleans, like early, like he was kind of vague about that. But, uh, but you know, he started saying, well, if I'm going to talk about where I'm from, am I going to talk about this or am I going to talk about that? And he chooses to say he's from New Orleans or from Louisiana. So that's. I guess okay. he's still okay. I mean I, we all I mean, know he's from Europe <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. I find yeah. the
1: Poland theory quite
0: plausible mm-hmm. which has
1: been put forward by a Redditor yeah okay. and depending on his age I could see a reason for him you know if he's if has left Poland for various reasons and he came over here and you know is more proud of being quote unquote American than being from Poland I don't you know, uh, you know he's,
2: he's you know he's Louisiana's favorite son <laughs> That's- aside, from, aside from the Manning brothers, I guess.
0: The book that is Astro Artist" has an extensive chapter about this, about things Sistero has put together about where he's from and what he thinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Franco got so enamored with the mystery of it that he doesn't choose to dwell on that aspect, but there are a couple of chapters in the book that are all about it. <laughs> There's multiple chapters. <laughs> I, I should read this book
1: because this fascinates me. <laughs> but-
0: you should. I mean, when I was reading it, I was like, When they make a movie, these chapters are going to be done in animation. I'm I'm a little disappointed that didn't happen,
1: but... (laughs) There's always the (laughs) Blu-ray. And that said, if there's an audiobook narrated by Franco as Tommy Wiseau, that'd be the ultimate way to read the book, I think. There is
0: one narrated by Sistero as Wiseau. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay.
1: Well, good thing Audio Boobs are spo- or audio Audible is our sponsor, so we can see if we can figure that one out. Anyway, Abe, you had your question. All right, so that's it then. Right? Okay. okay. Well, that's how you play. No, everybody. All right, let's move on now. Let's get out of hoodies.
2: Yeah.
1: Each week, out now we have a movie to talk about. movies? hoodies? Damn. Why
2: did you go? Why did you go an octave lower there? I
1: I was I was feel I was feeling the rhythm and the rhyme.
2: Okay. Feeling the rhyme. Yeah. yeah. Get on up. It's it's Bob's time. Abe, have
1: you seen any other movies this week?
2: I watched The Room and uh it's you know, I had heard of it before, I'd seen bits and pieces of it before, I hadn't seen it in full, and I watched it in full and sure, it's bad, but at the same time, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's kinda like amazingly bad. So sure, I, I wouldn't recommend people just, you know, on a Friday night go out, have dinner, and then go and pop in the room. Uh, It's kind of more of like a a cocktail party. It's more of like a cocktail party in the background when you guys are just like chumming it up for New Year's or whatever the case is, and you're like, "What are we watching?" Uh, It's either that or the new Point Break. One of those two should be your background movie for fodder at a New Year's party. So here's here's a question because we've done this show a number of uh, years, and you
1: know you've had various worst of the year lists as far as movies that you just absolutely couldn't stand. Would you say the Room is worse than any of the movies that made your worst of the year list?
2: you know what's weird about that is it wasn't bad enough for me to turn it off which is and i don't know why because i have only turned off two movies in my life and one of them is kung pow and the other <laughs> one is, mr bean movie uh,
0: but the i was i was young mr for... bean movie is where it's at the second one
2: mr bean's vacation
1: or
0: whatever like <laughs> yes. or mr bean takes a holiday is that what it is yes yeah
1: that's a, there's there's some solid willem dafoe in that movie if i'm not mistaken <laughs>
2: We need more Willem Dafoe. This was his first one with like, the other attorney from Alley McBeal. Peter
1: McNichol with with uh,
2: yeah. Z- 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 Janusz
1: from Ghostbusters 2. Janusz.
3: Yeah, Janusz. Yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, Janush.
1: But so, he's
3: from yeah, the I mean, upper west side, so let's not yeah. let's not cast any aspersions about his origins. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I believe him. <laughs> <laughs> I read, that's, a, that's a question. The answer it is like, where are you from? Yeah, she said, oh, the upper East side. he's
0: <laughs> yeah. from Tommy Wiseau's hometown. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> New Orleans.
1: <laughs> Wait, so finish your thoughts. Sorry. I,
2: <laughs> anyway, the, the thought is that it, it wasn't bad enough for me to turn it off, but maybe that's because there was already fascination behind it. I mean, if I had, if I had literally found this at a blockbuster in like 2004, I don't know, uh, yes. I, I would have really been like, what. The F? Am I watching here, and why am I spending my time doing this? But I think the fascination behind it kind of drives it a little bit further. So it wasn't one of those things where I was just, you know, grimacing all the time and slumping in my chair or slapping my face. It was just more like, wow, this is this is uh, it's bad, but at the same time, it's like, why is this so bad? I'm curious now about the origin. So I'm glad that Greg decided to write this book and uh, the disaster artist was made. I mean, we'll get into it a little further, but yeah, no, that's a good question. All right.
0: Uh, Luke, what other movies have you seen recently? Um, the Second Coming of Christ, <laughs> which is a Catholic end of days movie that's playing at the Lemley Theater for a week. And by the time this podcast comes out, it will probably have left. But <laughs> it's coming out on DVD to buy on March sixth, and it's uh it's interesting. They reach, the filmmakers reached out directly to me on Facebook. Faith based movies rarely ever screen in advance. They sent me a screener, and it's even rarer for like a Catholic apocalypse movie because usually the apocalypse movies appeal to the evangelical protestants who think that the catholic church is the great horror of revelation. so it's about like satan paying an atheist doctor to clone immortal bees because all the crops in the world are dying that's a complicated sentence (laughs) and then jason london is like the version of john the baptist for the modern day and uh it's It probably sounds more interesting in what I've just said than it actually is. I mean, I'm
2: looking at photos here on MDB and Tom Sizemore's in this movie, so I know that's got to be good.
0: Tom Sizemore's in one scene and it's completely irrelevant to the plot. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, must see? uh, No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Definitely not. Um, If you find yourself watching it for whatever reason, skip to the end. The ending gives you the kind of insanity you want from it, but it's boring in the middle. Oh, so it's like and knowing. It is, it is more <laughs> zealously obsessed with bees than any movie I've seen since the Wicker Man remake.
2: <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, thank you for
0: that. I also saw it Just Getting Started, and that sucked. It's Ron. Sh- it's unbelievable how bad Ron Shelton is these days. I'll, okay. That's all I'll say.
1: That's a, that's a shame.
0: Oof. Well, not a shame because, I mean, I saw that coming
1: right away, but it's just a shame that Ron Shelton's not producing better things because he once was really good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, think- well,
0: it's It's like his version of a Brett Ratner movie, where you know how Brett Ratner, when you see a Brett Ratner movie, it's generally like he made this so he could go on vacation in this location and park there. This is like what Ron Shelton, 72-year-old man, made so he could party at an awesome old folks retreat in Palm (laughs) Springs. Well, I guess it's warm there. (laughs) Does uh, Tommy Lee Jones grimace a lot? Yeah, he doesn't seem to be enjoying himself at all. That makes me. That kind
3: of makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those However ones, much, what anything me, he okay. has to do for money that makes him unhappy or uncomfortable, actually, I think is fantastic. Makes, so. you, makes you, yeah. You mean like Man of the House? Exactly. No, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. To this day, I've never had a moment on a. I did a set visit. I have to a little anecdote. I went one of the first set visits I ever did when I moved to Los Angeles was Be Cool. Sure. Mm-hmm. and in the midst of the set visit we got to interview christine Milian, and we're talking to her and we didn't really have anything to ask her because she we didn't really know anything about her character but at a certain point like somebody asked her like what she was doing next and she's like i'm in this movie called cheer up which became man of the house Uh, And the movie was called Cheer Up. And she goes, yeah, it's about a Texas Ranger played by Tommy Lee Jones, who takes care of four cheerleaders who go into the witness protection program. And I swear to God, I thought it was like that was like a Simpsons movie idea, <laughs> and I, I like, I had to like su- suppress my laughter through the rest of this. Interview. Like, like, just that was all I could think about was like, like, how funny it was that like Tommy Lee Jones would be in a movie that clearly sounded like such a complete piece. Of shit. And I just yeah. like sitting there just giggling the whole time. Like she walked away, and I was like, Oh my God, thank God! I, I, I wasn't going to be able to keep it together
1: well it was worth it for that story <laughs> so, but,
3: Todd have you seen any of the movies this week you know I uh, I, I rewatched watched Um oh. and uh, I like I went through as as I'm sure Luke did or, uh, like a blitz of screeners and everything leading up to our voting meeting which was last uh, weekend for the Los Angeles Film Critics Association um, and so I saw uh, tons of stuff I saw good time. I saw um, the, 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 both of the movies that we're talking about today. I saw Lady Bird. Um, you know, I saw three billboards. Um, but rewatching I Tanya was actually pretty interesting because it kind of cemented both like the things that I liked and that I didn't like about it um, in that it is a movie that wants to try to uh, attract some dignity, to Tanya Harding's story, and at the same time, it's kind of at the same time inviting you to kind of laugh at her, and it that contradiction is a it's a challenging uh, choice to make yes. for an audience because it puts you in a weird position to go to kind of feel culpable, but like the movie's culpable too. So uh, you know, but at the same time, it's got some some great performances, um, particularly Margot Robbie. I thought she was just fantastic. And the uh the actor whose name I can't remember who plays Sebastian Bedan. Uh, Eckhart. Um oh. he is Alison Janney, I think, is good. Um, but that guy who plays uh Eckhart to me is like on another level. He's just hmm. he's like stealing the movie, which I think is also a problem because he probably shouldn't be as important as he is, but like he's is, that, is so, Eckhart
1: the dumb friend? Is that who I'm that Yeah. yeah oh, okay yeah. Paul Walter Hauser, that's his name.
3: Yes. OK, and he's but he's so great in that, you know, and, and like I watched a bunch of the clips of him after the fact, not even just the ones at the end of the movie, but like in, in other interviews. And I'm like that guy, like, I mean, it's it's sort <laughs> it's of a, frighteningly authentic.
1: He's the next yeah. Margot Roby, Is that
3: what you're saying? Yes, he's <laughs> the next Margot Roby.
2: But it's interesting that you say that. I haven't seen I, Tonya yet, but that's kind of the feelings that I had when, when we talked about the trailer a few weeks back. I'm just like, you know, this isn't a great story, um, and, and it's kind of like, it's kind of tough to juxtapose the two, right? You know, you're kind of making fun of it in a farcical way, but at the same time, it's a story about, you know, some serious personal injury and also some serious personal issues kind of thing, so... I'm, I'm curious to check it out. I'll be, I'll be looking forward to when you see it so we can
1: talk about it more in-depth in a future episode, because I've refrained from talking about it because of this. So I there yeah. are, I, I have some thoughts that might align with Todd's, my, but we'll see. Oh, oh we'll
2: find out in a couple weeks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen a few things this week. I tried to catch okay. up on some documentaries that I've been missing out on, nice. um, and there's still more that I really want to see. Um, but two I did watch was uh, Chasing Coral, um, which is the film that talks about basically how we're terrible to our environment, and now we're losing the coral in the world. Um, I ours. thought it
0: was a Rick Grimes biopic. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: it's a, it's it's season zero of The Walking Dead, where he's just chasing <laughs> his baby son Coral all around the place. Uh, but no, yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah, it's about the coral reefs and how they're vanishing. Um, yep. And there's some very emotional, you know, stuff from some of the people involved who, you know don't want to see this happen but they like go diving and they see these horrible things going on and it's just it's heartbreaking at the same time this is one of the best shot movies of the year and certainly one of the most colorful like there's some great cinematography in this movie nice. as far as kind of showing you this wildlife essentially in you know, the oceans and whatnot and just the way it's the cameras you know kind of getting this footage and like showing you these intense close-ups on coral uh, between the um uh, what's it called um, the... the barrier reef the uh, the the type of the time lapse time lapse swimming, oh, okay. swimming, uh where gotcha. they kind of like yeah show you like the de- the degrading nature of the reefs and whatnot like there's some stuff there it's like oh this is sad but it's like really neat to look at um, so that's one, one, one of the ones I saw uh, the other is a uh, step uh, this was uh, oh yeah yeah it's the documentary about the um, the uh, the Intercity program yeah the inner City program for a high school team in uh, Baltimore inner City Baltimore so it's like the wire just way cheerier. Um, it's not like that, uh, but no, yeah, it's it,
2: like, it, so like that doesn't fit
1: at all. When I when I was first starting it up, I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be like a documentary version of The Fits." Um, Fits is way different, obviously, if you've seen The Fits, which is still on Amazon, still on my top ten for last year, and still amazing. Uh, but no, it's a it's a really nice story, which I was comparing to something like an underdog sports story, where yeah. like instead of like watching like or, like something like Friday Night Lights, or even like the the documentary was it un undefeated undefeated which is great um uh, where instead of following like a football team and seeing which students are going to get the grades and what that they need to progress and if they're going to win the big games and whatnot you're watching a team of 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 uh, girls in a high school dance team and if they're going to like get the grades they need and if their state team is going to like be able to kind of progress forward and whatnot so it's it's good it's not my favorite documentary I've, you know, it's still it's it's a worthwhile watch it's it's emotional at times it, it does the job um, so, yeah, there's still more I want to see. There's one called Let It Fall that I've been wanting to watch on Netflix from uh, John Ridley about the LA riots. There's two actually about the LA riots I want to see. And I got like a bunch of Magnolia screeners this week that have a bunch more documentaries. So it's like, okay, cool. I'm finally catching up on the docs. Because um, I do like to catch up on them when I can. Yeah, um, nice. I also finished The Punisher this week, Netflix's The Punisher series. I. It's better than Iron Fist. I will say this. Okay, <laughs> um, that's uh,
2: that's not the best of the series. I know, because
1: like, I know we've gone over these Netflix series on and off. Like we did a whole yeah. Daredevil episode, and then kind of since then we've kind of like been all over the place in terms of yeah. watching them. Um, I I would have liked to like the Punisher. I had some major issues with it. One of them being he seems so much Punisher already in Daredevil season two, where I'm like, why did I take 17 steps backwards when he has his own show?
2: Origin stories, man.
1: What's not even an origin? It's set after Daredevil, so it's like he's already Punisher. Yeah. He's already already
0: Punisher, so it's like I don't know why I'm like, take it, just it was bothersome. Um, well, I love, I love the way Netflix, you know, mm-hmm. they always have to do a first season where the character doesn't have his costume. So yeah, right? Because he already had his costume, they have him burn it in the first 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. It, it's, it's symbolic, Luke. Jeez. I, I, I would
1: say that, like, at least John Bernthal was good. And I generally like John Bernthal, but there is a lot, like there's a lot of grunting and like underplaying it to the point of, I just stopped caring. Like I just really wasn't caring about seeing Frank's journey, but I'm like, all right, I guess I'll finish this. And yeah, it just, there's one episode that's kind of clever where it does, it uses like a Rashomon storytelling device. And I was like, Oh, well that's ambition. I'd like to see from any of these shows more often. Uh, but yeah, there's you still character the of that episode. Uh, not offhand. I do not know. Okay. No, uh, I curious.
0: haven't gotten to it yet. So I think it's after eight. It's like, yeah, or... it's episode 10, I think. Yeah.
1: yeah. Hmm. But, like, I mean... Yeah, it's it's okay. Like I, I wasn't wasn't huge on it. I, I finished it. It was like a okay, I will finish up my night by doing work and watching Punisher in the background. That's kind of where I was with it at the oh, time. Yeah. that's that's It fell I down to, what
2: you're
1: It felt it fell down to that point, which is still wow. above Iron Fist. I'm like, I'll wait 7 months before I finally finish the show.
2: I've <laughs> I I not started.
1: <laughs> um, the last two things I well, I can't talk about one. I saw the greatest showman today. I don't think I'm supposed to talk about it, so I won't. I will say it is a movie Uh, certainly four families. Um, I can talk about Ferdinand, though, because I liked Ferdinand, and I will talk about it. (laughs) Um, Okay. This is the animated film starring John Cena, who, between this and sisters, must really hate Star Wars. Um, He voices the bull Ferdinand, and it's a nice animated movie. I I think it's a little too dry. Uh, It's not as funny as it was, and it leans a bit too heavily into the pop culture sometimes, as far as the type of humor it goes for. But it's competent, And the story, surprisingly, is like, what if we mixed Finding Nemo and Gladiator? Which I found to be really interesting. But uh, yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of plot beats from both movies in there.
2: (laughs) Somebody murdered his family?
1: You got. You, you watch Ferdinand. Yeah, clearly I've got to go into the movie now. <laughs> well, Anna and I had a good time with Ferdinand, and so I want to make sure to mention it because I do like that John Cena. I'm very interested in how his career has progressed, uh, and so it's like, oh, now
0: he's an and anim- He's the star of an animated movie. That's that you're yeah. um, Well, he's the pistachio elephant too in those commercials. I don't know. He is. <laughs> I was not aware of this. He's the pistachio elephant. Yeah, there's commercials for pistachios where he's a CG elephant. I didn't know that. I know. He, I didn't know he was the voice.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Interesting.
0: <laughs> uh, but, yeah. He does voiceover because you can't see him. Oh, clever. <laughs> <laughs> did All you right. do the whole
2: face, the hand in front of your facing, too? <laughs> I did. You didn't see it, but I absolutely did. <laughs> that's
1: how you're doing good on a podcast <laughs> we can call out our visual cues that we're doing
2: <laughs> the visual cues so the listeners know what we're talking about here yeah.
1: alright that's on now quickies yep let's move on now let's get to our trailer talk we we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week when it's coming out what we thought of it and what have you this week we're talking Jurassic World colon Fallen Kingdom the upcoming sequel to Jurassic World which was the fourth the third sequel to Jurassic Park I think we got this all straight uh, this this chapter in the Jurassic franchise. Uh, this is directed by J.A. Bayona, who uh, directed what a uh, The Orphanage, A Monster Calls, The Impossible. Um, this still stars Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, it brings on a few people, including Jeff Goldblum, who's returning apparently, and Justice Smith from The Get Down, a show that I was a fan of. So it's like, oh, he's getting to work. Cool. Good for him. Um, the story is set four years after Jurassic World. The island, Isla Nubar, Nublar, um, apparently it has a dormant volcano on it, and so now they need to go and save the dinosaurs from said volcano, which is causing all kinds of havoc. Kind of magic, right? Yeah. Well, let's start with Todd. Todd, what did you think of the trailer for uh, Jurassic World? Uh,
3: that's about what I thought. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, uh, I've I've read a lot of reactions in the last, you know like weak about this trailer most of which i agree with and most of which were negative um you know matt singer very astutely observed that like it doesn't it's a, a completely idiotic premise to the idea that they have to go back and save dinosaurs when they can just make more dinosaurs um uh but i don't know to me the the whole thing it Uh, I I think that the the franchise itself has been a series of diminishing returns because every movie is exactly the same. They go to an island, the dinosaurs go crazy, and they have to figure out how to survive. And it's uh, like I just think I think unless you like completely reimagine the concept in some way, like there's just nothing left to do with it that's going to be at least semi original uh, that's that interesting so my uh enthusiasm particularly after Jurassic World is at a sort of pretty terminal level um but uh you know i'm like all right there's some more dinosaurs and chris pratt and and uh
2: Bryce Dallas Howard
3: and Bryce Dallas Howard who <laughs> i i mean one of the articles i wrote was like oh yeah those two people <laughs> um I mean, it's like, I don't remember, like, I think I only remember their names because that article, I think his name, his name is Owen or something like that. But I'm like, do people care about these characters? Do they want to see them come back? I don't necessarily think so. Um, uh, Of course, like bringing new people to an island and having them chased around isn't exciting to me either. But it's just kind of like this whole thing is like IP self-perpetuation rather than a a story that deserves or in, in any way earns like another chapter. Um, so in other words, uh, I have a muted enthusiasm for it.
1: (laughs) Luke, are you also standing on an edge of a cliff like Todd or do you have different thoughts Uh, on Jurassic World?
0: I, I concur with a lot of what Todd says. I will say I am that one guy who did like Jurassic World. It was like in IMAX 3D. I got to do what I always wanted to do, which was visit that park until it broke down. And then they had like basically a kaiju fight at the end, which was cool. But yeah, this trailer is kind of disappointing. I mean, they set up this whole line of possible military applications. And I'm like, you know, why not drop a bunch of velociraptors with guns into Iraq? I would see the hell out of that movie. Instead, we're just going back to the island again. And it's like, why is there a volcano? Why would you build on an island? Why would you build the theme park on an L- island? Luke, of the it life? was dormant. <laughs> 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 That's <it>. sick. <laughs> Uh, i'm just i'm not that excited there's nothing in the trailer that excites me that much they've got the evil dinosaurs from disney's dinosaur which is cool but uh, i like disney's dinosaur actually quite a bit everyone forgets that movie but uh, I, I
1: don't i forget.
0: I, I just don't like that movie but. <laughs> but no, i'm i will see it probably but i'm not that excited there's nothing there's nothing in the trailer that's a real draw and Jeff Goldblum is less exciting to me than he is to other people, just because I can't get into that cult of Goldblum as much as I used to. Mm. All right. Abe?
2: I wasn't that excited about the trailer either. It wasn't that I thought it was dumb. I was actually really annoyed by the the single, like, two keys that they kept playing from the uh, Jurassic Park theme. Um, and... Overall, it just didn't really feel... This is kind of what I was expecting Jurassic World to be, the one that was directed by uh, the guy, Colin Trevorrow. And it was just... uh, It just feels like it's... I don't know. I mean, you guys brought up a lot of great points about just plot holes, right? Why would they build on top of an island that has um, uh, an active volcano? I guess dormant active volcano. Um, What are they going to do with the dinosaurs when they all get them? You know, uh, I don't really understand... Like, how that's are you for the ship movie all? to fill in. That's not a plot hole. No, you I, haven't seen the movie. And I get that. No, but just in general, like, where are you going to house these guys? Is there like, a, I know that the, in the books there are multiple islands, right? That's kind of like the cool thing about the books is just that he didn't create just one. John Hammond didn't create one island. He created like uh, the the theme park in Kenya. and Then he also had like two, uh, one secret island and also Island Ubar. So it was uh, pretty dope. But at the same time, it's just like I don't know what's going on here and. It's fun to see Chris Pratt on the screen, but I honestly didn't even know his name until uh, until Todd was like... I don't even know his name right now. I can't even, even remember his yeah, name. Yeah, it's
3: Owen, I think.
0: Owen. That yeah. is Owen. Yeah, so I it's mean, really... I
3: mean, and, yeah. that's, and that's kind of the thing. I mean, like uh, to your point, uh, Aaron, you're right, it's not a plot hole, but like, the Jurassic World film was built on an idiotic premise, which is that people are tired of seeing real dinosaurs. And it people are not just in a movie, but I mean, like if you actually could see real dinosaurs, I don't think anybody would be jaded by that. And the movie does not answer that sort of, I, that cynical idea. And it kind of is cynical itself. And then this movie is like, you are trying to rescue animals that you have biologically engineered. Yeah. Um, and have proven to be a fucking disaster. At at like time and time time, again, anytime they're around anyone. So, what are you going to do? Hurt them onto a ship and take them to another island? I mean, like, I mean, again, it's just like it's just a dumb. If that is the concept of the movie, I mean, that's that's actually my sort of most desperate hope about the trailer is that it's kind of like broadly misrepresenting like the premise of the movie. I
2: hope so. I kind of think it is.
3: I don't don't think they'd be showing something. The
2: larger question I also had was why are there like teenagers on this exploratory mission with them? So anyway,
0: Aaron, what what were your thoughts? They're computer whizzes, obviously, because no (laughs) adult knows how to use a computer. (laughs) I mean,
1: I I speak from experience. Most adults don't seem to know how to use computers. (laughs) Um... I am actually with Luke as far as I like Jurassic World. I'm a fan of that movie. I I Todd, I get the, I get where the the kind of the the problem comes with the idea of people being jaded with jaded by dinosaurs. I would argue that the movie's, it's more of an issue of the movie not doing a sufficient job of showing people being jaded by dinosaurs because I do think there's a there's a way to present that narrative that makes sense to me, uh, where if you're living in a world that's you know for since 1993 has had dinosaurs in them because you've heard all these stories or whatnot. And now there's a theme park that actually, I mean, I can see that as a thing. It's like this insane amusement park where it's like, Oh yeah, I want There's dinosaurs. Okay. I'm over that now.
3: Uh, but, but I guess, I mean, the thing is like the only reason I would say I even disagree with that philosophically is that people are still excited about going to Disneyland. I mean, like in people who have gone hundreds of times and that's a place that you have to spend a crap ton of money to go to, in order to see these dinosaurs in the only place on the planet where they can actually see them. So I, I, they, are, they are engineered as a novelty, which to me, again, I think that's a premise that, like, as an idea, I think is kind of intriguing because, of course, like millennials or kids or whatever are, you know, oversaturated with media or they're bored or whatever it is. But again, the movie has no sense of how to conjure wonder, or even to create it in a sense that, like, there is wonder in spite of the fact that these people are taking it for granted. So I don't know. It's like that. It's a significant issue. for it's, me. It, we'll it's fair. On. I disagree.
1: <laughs> I think I I <laughs> I, I think the movie is flawed, but I still had fun with it. I, I was able to let it go for the heightened circumstances they represent. Regardless, this trailer. I am um, also of the similar mind as far as. I still I like seeing dinosaurs on screen enough and I have enough faith in big Bayona honestly I really like Mm J.A. Bayona um, where I am I am I am more curious than not about what this movie is going to deliver Um, I have issues with the Jurassic Park franchise as a whole because not all those movies are very good Um, like Todd you have said where they are diminishing returns for the most part
2: although I like world more than the lost world and Jurassic Park 3 Good Lord. Aaron, that kid survived by putting Tyrannosaurus Rex P on himself. That's genius!
1: They all put Tyrannosaurus Rex P on themselves, <laughs> and Richard Schiff paid a costly price
0: for it. <laughs> I know uh, that really it's night, but I don't get a, a movie part for it. Please. <laughs> 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 no, um, I no, I'm more
1: disappointed that the movie is not entirely focused on the lawsuits that came after the destruction of Jurassic World. Like, if there was just an entire courtroom drama. And maybe they brought in one of the Velociraptors as a key witness at one point. Like, that movie excites <laughs> me. Like, I, I don't know why I'm not getting that. It's just,
0: it's
1: <laughs> it's just kind, of kind of Son of Calm. It is, yeah. It basically would be kind of Son of Calm. It'd be wow. Son of Calm mixed with, like, Creature Walks Among Us. It'd be really interesting. That uh, instead, we're just going back to the island. And it's like, all right, we're back on the island. Now they're adding a volcano. Let's see what happens. I am of the mind that there is more here that we're not seeing. I'd I like to think that the kind right. of the big volcano explosion thing is. Maybe just more of in the middle, and there's still more to go from there. I
2: just hope it's not a let's go to San Diego with the dinosaurs again, like Lost World. Do you, do you think that uh, whatchamacallit, call it that? Um, actually, never mind, never mind. I think I, I, there has to be more to the plot than what we're seeing because this is just the first trailer. But still, yeah, I mm-hmm. I, I, I can get on your side there. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it,
1: it's the fr- it's a franchise where I, like I'm not expecting too much in the terms in terms of like groundbreaking story. I'm just expecting to get okay. Let's see more cool dinosaur action i guess of course i'd like it, you know to be better than that obviously i get where you're coming from todd as far as like there's only so many stories you seem to this sort this series seems to want to present to us and it'd be great to get something completely different um for the time being i'm accepting the kind of minimal (laughs) effort they're kind of putting in here
2: okay
1: uh jurassic world fallen kingdom horizon theaters uh june 22nd so that <laughs> you can wait till then for more records to be broken and people to bemoan the success of
2: Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Packed summer next year.
1: Yeah, yeah. and we've got plenty of trailers to show us just why. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's uh, let's get to our uh, let's get to our main review, our first main review for the Disaster Artist.
0: Los Angeles, everybody want to be star. You have to be the best and never give
2: up. When I get up on stage in front of people, all I can think about is, what if they laugh at me? But you, man, you're fearless. I want to feel that, too. I don't care. I will do it. You and me, we both have
0: this dream. Yeah, I guess we do. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be famous. We'll show them.
4: Watch out, here we go. To be or not to be.
2: It's not going to happen for you.
0: Not in a million years. But after that it's town Greg they don't want me
2: wish we could just make our own movie that great idea
0: so there's this guy Johnny a true American hero to be played by me he has it all good luck many friends and also maybe Johnny is vampire we'll see
1: that should have been some of the trailer for the disaster artist in 2003 Tommy Wiseau for better or worse became a celebrity the Room is the sort of strange phenomenon that has now become heralded enough to warrant a book and this film adaptation of that book. The Disaster Artist is a retelling of how Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau found each other and went on to make one of the best worst movies ever. James Franco directs and stars as Wiseau, the enigmatic New Orleans native who befriends Dave Franco Sestero. With little talent and success between them, Wiseau decides to write, produce, and direct a movie himself. The result leads to all sort of wacky problems as well as the inevitable final product. Luke, you're, you're a Room fan,
0: if I'm not mistaken, correct? Big time, yeah.
1: Big Room fan.
0: I, I actually have the... I was made aware of this by an L.A. Times story. I have the earliest dated positive review of it on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> there, oh, there you go. Oh. And so, I guess what...
1: You've you pretty much answered more, more questions than I had right there. Uh, but so you're a Room fan. Uh, you've, yes. you've read the book. What did you think of this adaptation?
0: It's interesting. There's a lot of stuff the book leaves out, but... The movie, I think, conveys better the friendship. When I read the book, I still didn't quite get why Greg would hang out with Tommy to the extent he did, why he would keep attaching himself to this guy. The movie really conveys, I think, that thing where I think a lot of us have, like, that one weird friend that maybe, you know, our wives or significant others don't like and our other friends don't like and they don't get and they're kind of obnoxious to everyone, but you sort of see something in them. And I feel like it really conveyed that dynamic very well in a way that the book didn't quite. Now, there are a lot of things that the movie leaves out. There's a whole couple of chapters, as I said earlier, about Tommy's speculated origins. And one of the things in the book is that Tommy would crash very expensive restaurants by pretending to be on the guest list. They'd say, what's your name? He'd be like, Bob. And they'd say, there's no Bob here. And he'd be like, oh, I mean Mike. And he would keep doing it until they find a name. Then he'd just walk in and demand a cup of hot water to drink. And just be generally obnoxious. And in the movie, for budgetary reasons, I imagine they'd eat at these cheap diners all the time. But uh, I feel like it got the dynamic of friendship and really sort of put across why Greg would put up with Tommy and what the bond is. And I also like that they collapse the timeline at the end, because the book ends exactly like the movie Ed Wood. It ends with them sitting in the audience and the lights going down. Mm. And it's fictionalized in the movie a bit because it didn't take on the cult status and have Tommy retcon it as a comedy right away. So the movie collapses that, but I think it's fair game and I think it makes for a better conclusion ultimately. And I've totally spoiled it. I realize I apologize. No, <laughs> no he's not room. We all know what happened with the room. So I don't think I spoiled it that bad. Uh, yeah, I think we're fine on that front.
3: Todd,
1: what is your relationship with the room and what do you think of this
3: film? Uh, well, I've never seen The Room. I am, uh, quite frankly, more familiar with the billboard th- that was on uh, Highland Avenue, because I would drive past it for years and years and years, going every, like, two years, I would be like,
1: is that still up? What What is that?
3: Um, <laughs> and so, but, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, like, and then I heard that it became sort of a cult film. I didn't know anything about it, so, uh, but... Uh, I mean, I think the movie is good. It's interesting that there has been so much sort of rhapsodic affection for it um, because I'm not sure that it fully, to me, graduates to more than like sort of a a, sort of a curio. I mean, I I find it to be interesting and, I mean, like it's a kind of cool, you know, funny character study. But I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I, I I, I would sort of argue that like trying to imprint too much like, uh, you know, uh, this the, pursuing dreams and things like that. I mean, to me, that's like maybe an overstatement a little bit. Uh, I mean, th- like these are not people who have, in my opinion, like profound talents, um, who are, you know, desperately trying to achieve their dreams. It's sort of like they're obliviously pursuing them. um, Uh, Again, and I don't and I say that not to denigrate uh, a movie that I haven't seen as much as I am just sort of the depiction that they're given uh, that that is made of them in the movie. Um, You know, I will admit that um, I have serious problems with Dave Franco's beard. (laughs) Um, I just don't believe that he ever has can or will grow a beard um so like it's i mean that's a. Uh, I, I say that sort of more as a joke it, it sort yeah. of was mildly distracting to me i mean i actually think that uh, james franco was quite good in the movie he he nails and i think i even said this to luke when we went to our voting meeting he really nails sort of this very vacant eyed sort of reaction to things that um the of, of the clips that i've seen of wiseau and then also just in general like that seems very authentic to me. Um, and I do think that he gives a great performance. Um, you know, I, I, I think just ultimately it adds up to being like a, like a fun movie, but maybe not one that I find is quite as profound as maybe some other folks have. And I kind of actually would disagree with, uh, Luke, although I, I don't know how I, I do understand that there was, as he said, the sort of protracted period between when it, became sort of a cult thing and it was like a flop and i sort of i think there's something more interesting about that i mean not that i want to see a downer movie but but just that like i like the idea that and i think this actually might to me speak even better to the themes that people seem to be championing about it which is that like you know and particularly in our era it's like it that movie like create it was it it became its own Like library of memes, but it took many years, thanks to sort of the persistence of existing and people coming around to it, and all those other kinds of things. And I think that it does make for a very crowd pleasing, sort of rousing finale to the movie. But also, I think that um, that a like maybe a a few more notes of bittersweetness might make it more emotionally profound for me.
1: Right, Abe, you've just seen the room, and now you've seen this movie.
2: Yeah, so I watched The Room this past week, and um, I watched The Room, or I'm sorry, The Disaster Artist uh, as well for the review. And I find it enjoyable, but I kind of fall on Todd's camp when you uh, look further into the movie about the, um, you know, kind of, I guess, additional means of motivation for for some of these folks um, like Tommy and and Greg, who are just really trying to get on with their um, professional careers in acting. And it would be interesting if you played up some of that drum a little bit more because you get senses of it and hints of it in the movie, um, but it doesn't really uh, ever amount to anything because they're kind of focused on making that movie, the room. But even the the making of the movie is is not the central focus. The central focus is their friendship and how they've you know made this this pinky swear pact um, to to do whatever they can for each other, which is a really nice story um, and it, it does end up well. Um, but on the whole i i kind of when you look beyond the layer of that there's there's not a whole lot i mean i would love to have known more about maybe some consequences of why tommy felt so slighted by greg you know deciding to leave or how these additional relationships that he develops really hurts him um and you know what's up with that kind of thing but uh, also hints of maybe greg could have gone on to do more tv stuff had he been uh, you know, not shaving his beard and gotten a role in uh, Malcolm in the Middle. So it's it's interesting just to see from that perspective. But uh, I'm glad that they did condense it. There were obviously times where I was very like it was very cringeworthy, not not because not because um, anything on the con or not anything on the screen. It's just more that, you know, that this movie is going to flop when it premieres and you know that it's it's never been regarded as a very good movie. So when they're kind of setting up for the premiere and then they're going to the premiere and then the reaction to the crowd's like, it, it was actually really well well done just to give me that sense of, wow, this is, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't I actually, I never knew what the, what the reaction to the story was going to be, but uh, I ultimately found it to be an enjoyable movie. Um, is it something that I would revisit time and time again? Probably not, but at the same time, you know, I went with a few friends, we had a good laugh and uh, I'm glad that they're friends even now, but I think that there's there's probably something that perhaps the book explores uh, further that I would have loved to have seen in the movie. As far as the performances go, yeah, I, I think that the Franco brothers are doing a good job, but I don't know if it's ultimately anything that's you know I I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, that James Franco is you know groundbreakingly uh, uh, brilliant in this role as Tommy Wiseau. I think that there are some nuances to the role, but at the same time it kind of doesn't really resonate in terms of well you know he's bringing an additional layer of acting to it but i found it quite enjoyable i um uh,
1: i do think james franco is doing some pretty amazing work here um franco being an actor who i like come and go like he it depends on it seems like it seems to depend on how much effort he's putting into something cuz since he just does everything these days um, and, i mean we're movies like what which 27 at 127 hours or even like What's the one with um, Sean Milk, um, right, right? Like there's, you know, there's, and there's other notable before, even like Pineapple Express. I think there's some. Ter- I think yeah, there's. I've heard uh, good
2: things about his Sulu show too. What,
1: um,
2: I mean, is HBO the, show? The, no, like, but, oh, the I other one, the other uh, the, the
1: eleven twenty three. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. but no, I think here, I think this is some of his best work as an actor. I think they, uh, the, beyond just the impression, because it's one thing to do the voice, but I think there's a lot of great comedic timing here where the comedy that stems from Tommy in my eyes is not from what he looks like or how he sounds. Obviously that's you know, that's going to be part of it regardless. But I think the, the way he's presenting himself, how he responds to things or whatnot, there's an easy way to just make it all about the wigs and the glasses and what have you, that kind of performance, which is, right. you know, that's a sitcom. This is something next level for me, as far as what Franco's doing, where he's making this, literally he's making this movie, but like his Tommy performance, especially if you kind of it's been hard for me to say like to see the room before you see this movie, because I don't tend to think you need to do like research before you see movies, but it does help here. Like I do think it it plays a role in like how you appreciate the disaster artist. I think there's different levels obviously, but I the the way his character works to kind of create the certain things that, you know, from the movie, the room is reflected when they're not making that actual movie. But then when they're making the movie, that's when I noticed Franco's really kind of doing something where he's setting aside things that he was doing as Tommy when he's not on camera and presenting this kind of serious version of Tommy when he's on camera and portraying the kind of nervousness or his insecurities or what have you. And that's when I really started, I mean, I was already enjoying the movie well enough, but that's when I really started liking the layers that I found in the disaster artist. I think as a movie as a whole, my issue is because i like this but i like this movie a lot i think it's very funny um on the whole um but by you know, the only major issue is the the friendship aspect to me is fine it's well handled i think dave franco is okay i don't think he's necessary. He, the dramatic side of dave franco is not as impressive to me as the dramatic side of james frank of james frank sure. um, but i think the friendship angle it's something i've seen in a lot of these seth rogan james franco vehicles like that tends to be a key part of their movies, whether it's the interview or this is the end. Like those movies are heavily rely on the idea of bromance and, you know, what it is to be a good friend and whatnot. That's a generally common theme. So it's like, okay, that's not really showing me anything new. It's nice to see again. But what I came away thinking more was beyond just how funny it was, is I think James Franco's direction here is very deliberate and quite good because of that. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of very specific choices he's making to make the film purposely feel amateurish if that makes sense i I think they i think he's a smart enough person to know who he's casting why he's casting people certain ways why he's directing certain performances to be a level of heightened that might not make sense but i think it's because he's homaging the room so much and so it becomes this really weird meta movie for that reason and i really kind of admired it for that reason i thought
0: it was very interesting I have watched probably every YouTube impersonator of Tommy Wiseau that there is, uh-huh. including the Wood Rocket porn parody. And Franco is next level. He is definitely okay. <laughs> trading all of those other guys. And Dave, mm-hmm. I, I, Dave's acting may not be as good, but I will say I think it's a lot better than Greg Sisteros. <laughs> yeah, and so that, and that
1: brings me to that brings up another point because you guys were, you know, t- talking about the Todd. You were talking about this. It was kind of how. What we're supposed to be taking away, I guess, from Sestero and Wiseau's efforts versus the others that are, you know, more or less against him or whatnot, like, there's something, there's there's some interesting stuff there about, like, it's not as if these guys that worked on the movie The Room, it's not like because of Wiseau, their talents were not discovered, these various line producers and you know, production designers and, uh, what Seth wrote, what Seth Rogen, the, um, the script guy, script script, script script, supervisor, like, I, I, it's not like I, and I mean, these are somewhat smaller roles as besides producer, director, what have you, but like, it's, it's not like I've seen these guys go on to do other things, like, because of their inherent talent that they have over Wiseau, um, even if they're more experienced. And, I think the the movie's making some n- neat choices to kind of address that as far as, is Wiseau, I mean, he might he's, might not have made the best movie ever, but is he really out of his element, or is he kind of hitting at something? Like, is is, is there something more going on as far as what he's trying, like, his his knockoff Tennessee Williams screenplay and all his horrible choices, but is... Does he really have some talent under there? And even if you watch like the the post credit scene, which has Tommy Wiseau in it, it's like I can see someone channeling this kind of energy and putting that into a good movie. He
0: has some sincere passion to him. I you know yeah. it doesn't always execute in the way that he wants, but I think that's what people respond to is that he, there's a genuine quality to the energy that he's putting in. It's, when you take an improv class, everyone says you, you know lean into the experience. Don't go up on the stage and be half-assed because that's the worst thing. Uh-huh. If you just be big, commit to your choice. Even if it's a bad one, it's still going to be better than not committing to it.
2: Yeah, I, I liked his energy when he was doing, you know, the plays early on and when he's basically getting Greg out of his shell of, hey, look, you know, this is all <laughs> the rest kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I liked actually how it hinted at he's not very good at it in a professional setting. You know, when he's going to these auditions in L.A., And they're like, can you lose the accent and just do it regular? He's like – you just hear him mumbling. Um, And it it genuinely looks like it hurts him uh, even when he meets Judd Apatow, which you see in the trailer, who's playing a a producer. um, Big famous producer. Big famous producer, right, uh, (laughs) who hates the waiting staff because they got here two two, scenes late. But um, it's really one of those things where I – I would have liked to see that explored a little bit more. Obviously they have an idea of what they want to make in mind and I, uh, I'm just viewing it, which is, it's fine, but, um, it would have, it would have added a little bit more layer to, I think the characters that, that, uh, would have made me appreciate them just from, from that point. In that regard,
1: it's just like, I I don't know what I'm not getting out of those scenes where I need more. When you say, sure,
2: like, I, I feel like I, I, that just sounds and, like and, that and, sounds I'm like not, ha- I'm not asking for them to do it. And I'm not saying that this is bad. It's just uh, I know that there's probably more in perhaps the the nuance of the characters that uh, that uh, I think would have been interesting to explore. If it's not reaching you,
1: it's not reaching. you, it's not reaching you. I get that. I, I guess the cause I, you, you're both suggesting, I guess, that there'd be more of a
3: kind of a darker take on some of the material to oh. make, the, make the drama register more. I, I wouldn't even say that I'm looking for a darker take. Yeah, I, mean, okay. I, don't, I don't think that it needs to be like a melancholy tale of abject failure. That's not that's not I don't think that's what makes about, about Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> um, I, I like I think uh, Luke puts it very well when he says, you know, that he has a very sincere passion, which I think is very I think is communicated very well in the film. And like in terms of not only the way that performance is given, but just sort of. Communicating the appeal of that of of, of the guy, mm-hmm. um, I I think I feel like as a story, I said, you know, understanding that it took some time between its actual premiere and when it became sort of a cult phenomenon, I think that actually could have been a good like sort of climax slash payoff for the movie. That it's not that it that that. Transformation did not occur over the course of the premiere of the movie as much as it did, you know, everybody went through this process, and it was kind of miserable for everybody except for Tommy Wiseau, and it didn't work, and then this cult grew up around the movie, and I think that actually would be a more interesting story than, like, oh, yeah, it worked out in the end. I mean... It's, you I, know i mean i just mm-hmm. think that would make for a slightly more complex story than than it was I can, but again like i don't fa- i don't necessarily fault the movie for that i think i just sure. might respond more strongly to that if that element were in it i can agree um, i can agree to that because
1: the movie's strangely not too long compared to other movies from you know these guys that tend to like run close to 2 hours if not over and so it's like this is only an hour 45 minutes like i mean i could have dealt with seeing more of this movie and yeah by way of going that route where you do explore the, the build-up to cult sensation as opposed to it's immediately thought of as a cult sensation. It's like, okay, uh, I, I that w- that would have been an interesting area to explore. I think that just takes away from what, Luke, what you admired about the film, which is you know keeping it focused on the friendship.
0: And if Yeah, the, sure pro- it, the problem with that take would be that Sestero has no agency in the build-up to it becoming a cult movie because he had nothing to, you know, he didn't start coming to the screenings even until after it had become a cult movie. Hmm. Let's so say, then, yeah. then your protagonists become the people who made it into a cult hit, and they're completely new characters. So there, there might be a way to do it, but it would take a lot of wrangling that's not in the book, and would all be extra.
3: Well, I would say, I mean, I would say that I think that like the, the idea, if it, because the movie is built around Sestero's story, that he goes through the process and gives everything he has, and it kind of destroys his career for him to be in this movie. And then through just sort of the persistence of Tommy's vision down the road, it works out. I think that actually would be kind of interesting. Like, I mean, it's not, I mean, he didn't make it a cult movie, neither did Tommy. It just, except for that he like kept it in theaters. And so he's like, it estranges, it ruins, I mean, however much this is reflective of reality and not not to be like sort of fan casting what the movie would be, but like the idea that They go through the process. They make this movie. It ruins their friendship. They finish the movie. They go to the premiere. And it's like, oh, this was a disaster. I have no career. This guy that I've committed my life, my career to has ruined it for me. And then it goes, blah, 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 six months later, two years later, whatever it is. And he sees that it's still not only a billboard, but he goes to a screening just to be like, oh, geez, what is this? And he goes in and people are laughing their ass off. And the movie ends. And Tommy gets up there and goes, didn't I make a great comedy? And everybody loves it. You know, I mean, like, I think that and that it and then he's like, oh, here's Greg. And then they bring him up and everybody cheers for him. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. to me, that feels like a good way to give him some degree of validation after submitting himself to this journey. Yeah, I would have
2: I would have responded strongly to that, too. And again, it's not a criticism of what I did see on the screen. Obviously, we know that there were things like this that happened. They just, you know, decided to to. They chose so to yeah, their own way to dramatize to to the situation,
1: right? Let's let's yeah. jump back a step because we're talking a lot about sure. how the room became the room. Essentially, there's a lot of other things going on in this movie. What do we think of the um, the the casting overall? Because there's a lot of people in this. Obviously, it's a lot of just like, hey, you guys want to be this role in this movie because we're friends. Everyone that they know is in this film. Does anyone, did anybody else stand out to you guys, good or bad? I guess um
3: uh, I, mean, I mean not especially yeah i mean, I
1: mean we,
2: we kind of talked about it off off air kind of thing but just um that chris r was uh zach efron with a beard i was like oh i didn't i didn't actually think about it until i was like i had to look closer at it but obviously when he shaves it's it's him but in terms of the in terms of the casting i just felt as though it was kind of just a production among friends right you mentioned it earlier yeah. where uh franco and and uh Rogan, they, they love just working with their buddies and making movies, and kind of just feels like a continuation of that for this.
0: Yeah. I'll say Ari Grainer. I liked her as Juliette Danielle as Lisa. I thought she did a really good job, and she consulted with Juliette to actually get the part right, so... Hmm and see um, that's
1: i and i agree i think i think she's good i think josh Hutcherson's really good as the the boy actor is oh, denny? Oh, yeah. as denny he doesn't
0: have, he doesn't have enough i wanted to see more Well, that's I that's have. what i'm
1: saying i'm saying i think he was compelling enough as this version of this yeah. person where it's like i like seeing this yeah
2: um, i mean even jackie weaver's really good too. jackie weaver's kind of like yeah. small thing, which is such yeah. a like all right
1: <laughs> there she is she's here and um, she's great
2: yeah. i think she, she's got a great line of uh, of why this bad movie exists, kind of thing. You know, when they're having lunch and she's just like, well, any day on a movie set's better than a day, you know, in an office kind of thing. It's like, see, I, I, there's some humanity here that they don't really continue to explore, but it's nice to have these moments in there.
1: Let's get, and they because they filmed that all like pretty much like doc style, uh, you know. Like a, they filmed like a docu drama. Those whole the room yeah. segments between the, the fact that Tommy was having people record these things as a documentary, and just because the film, I think shifts in style once it starts making the room. Uh, but you get a lot of these act like Nathan Fielder's in here who he's the. <laughs> He's he's not doing much to, you know, make a character out of it. He's just kind of recreating scenes in the room and then just kind of being offset. But it's, like, it's just funny. Like, it just the way the way <laughs> it plays out. Or, like, Jason Mantzouk is he, he has one line that kills me in this movie that made me laugh for, like, days. Which has nothing to do with, like, almost, it's just a reaction he has to a thing. And it's like, God, like, there's just really good lines from, like, people that just... They don't need to do much here where others are like really committed to the part where like, like Dave Franco, for example, and like Todd, you mentioned the beard and I, and I get, I get the job. Obviously you're, you know, you're joking a bit about the beard at the same time though. I think it's not like James Franco is watching this, you know, filming this movie and thinking this beard looks great on him. I think there's a very del- – this is what I was saying about the direction. I think there's some very deliberate choices here that are kind of in step with how the actual Wiseau would make a movie about the making of his movie. And I think, like, that beard is one of them where it's like, yeah, let's just get, a, like, a really bad-looking beard and put it on him and to, like, emphasize the time change and then make it a big dramatic point later on. It's goofy but it works in its own way for
0: me like that that those kind of choices
3: yeah i didn't have a
0: problem with (laughs) it i also think there's a really savvy choice in having seth rogan basically be the voice of room fans like he's the one who's doing the shout outs that the crowd does basically at the screenings like why is he fucking her navel you know why is he doing this or this is the line, you know. How many takes are we going to do with this? It's the same kind of things that the fans actually shout. So there's there's a Kenny casting there, I it, think. It's, it's some good. But I don't think the yeah. real Sandy Schrader necessarily had at the time.
1: Action!
3: What line? What a line! I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Okay. Action. What is line? I did not hit her, it's not true, it's bullshit, I did not hit her, I did not. Oh hi
1: Mark. Scene 112, take 13, mark it,
3: action.
0: I did not hit her, I... Okay, okay, line. I did not hit her. It's not true.
3: It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh hi, Mark. Take seventeen. Action. I hit her. No. Do you want to change the line? Script is script. Script says same. You're doing great, man. We'll get there.
0: Action. 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 You have to say it loud, I can't hear it in here. <laughs> say action so I can hear. It. Okay.
1: Yeah. And like, like Paul Shear, he plays like an amalgamation of like a number of the deep because there's like four DPs on the room because they kept getting like fired or whatnot. Right. And um, he takes it pretty seriously. Like the way he responds, like there's some asides he has that are, like, with Seth Rogen. Like, they're basically, like, Statler and Waldorf on the, on the backstage. Yeah. But, like, he also has <laughs> some moments helps. where he's, like, fighting for Ari Grainer. He's fighting for Juliet's character. And right, it's like, right. I can see why, because it's just, like, these choices that Wiseau's making. But then that's why I like Franco again, where Franco, as Wiseau, in these moments where... I think there's a, I'm, okay, here's a, here's a back, let me back up. Luke, okay. in, the, in the writing of, in the writing for the book that sterile wrote, does yeah. it portray Tommy as, like, a bad guy? Like, does it make him seem like he's a villain against everyone else when he's making the choices he's making
0: to make the room? Uh, to a point, yeah. It portrays him a little more, with a little more, I think, hostility than the movie does. Mm-hmm. And Wiseau, I think, obviously took that to heart because when he was asked about the book. He said it's 40% true. When he's asked about the movie, he says it's 99% true.
1: And I can I can see mm. why, regardless of the true version of the story or whatever, the dramatization of this presentation that's what I that's where I like Franco here, where it's I I get why he's acting, or at least the the movie's done a good enough job for me to understand why he's acting the way he's acting. Where I never think it's out of malicious intent. It's because he's trying to ape the concept of being this big heavy director who's making choices like hitchcock would to throw gir- thro- yeah. throw bird against girl on stage and like this nonsense that he's like talking it's because he thinks this is what directors would do not because he's a bad person he seems the epitome of nice when you put him with greg and everybody else or how he tries to present himself and just be a fun guy but in like director mode he's like he's he's essentially playing a part which is what he's yeah. doing in his own movie as well, and that's... Those,
2: which, which is interesting, because he he brings it up himself when they're talking about, you know, was Alfred Hitchcock, like he, on the set of The Birds, he threw real birds at people. He's like, <laughs> I'm being a director! And I was like, oh, you know, he's trying to run the show here, right? So it's interesting that you brought that up.
1: But yeah, it's just, those are those are the things I appreciate. Those, that's why, I like, that's why I, beyond just like liking it as a, like, hey, this was funny enough to watch, I do think there are elements there that make me appreciate the effort that went into especially James Franco for being, like, being such an obsessive over the book, apparently. Like, he, like, he he apparently didn't see the movie The Room until way after he read the book. Like, he read the book first, then he found out that there was the, the Room and, like, you know, actually saw it. And it's like, I get it. I get where this kind of, his love for this whole enterprise has come from and how he's tried to present it here. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on The Disaster Artist before we, uh... After
0: hearing everyone talk about it, I want to see it again. I I do, too. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone here has contributed to my enjoyment of it to another level that I'm going to appreciate yet again. So I'm looking forward to second viewing. I've seen, like,
1: Regal's putting up, like, what, Disaster Artist and The Room back-to-back. Back-to-back? Yeah. Yes. As as a fan of The Room, would you think that's a worthwhile experience to see, like, both things back-to-back?
0: um it's interesting i mean it it depends if those screenings become like the midnight screenings where people who know the shout outs and know the spoons and know the things show up to because that's a whole different experience i saw it for the first time on dvd with friends and i bust a gut laughing so hard without (laughs) even any of the callbacks Mm -hmm. then we went to the theater and it's like wow whole another level whole different experience so um it depends uh i've you know i've Taken some friends to recent screenings, and I've tried to recreate it based on the sheer number of times I've been to the screenings, just knowing all the call outs But I don't know. I think it can still work without. We'll see. It depends. Wait, here's the here's the better question, Todd. Are you inspired at
1: all
3: to see the room at some point? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, like you know, it's 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 one of those where like uh, I, I didn't I I. I Knew enough about it. I I didn't spend time trying to watch it before. Then I watched this, and I'm like, okay, this is like I get. I feel like I get enough of a sense of what it is. Well, here's here's another question. Are you a fan of like kind of like best worst movie type watching?
1: Is that a is a thing that you enjoy?
3: Um, not as much as I used to be. Things like Troll Two or. Even I maybe. mean, I never, like, I never saw Troll 2. I did, uh, I mean, I saw Best Worst Movie, and nah. actually, I did, I, I did a couple of Q&As with the filmmakers of that, like, when that documentary came out. Um, you know, I mean, like, I, I'm certainly not above watching movies, um, that are, you know, sort of polarizing in that way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I think, like, there, you know, the, I, I, movies like Pieces and, um, and stuff like that, like I guess, and I'm sure this is the case for Luke. Is like you know, at a certain point, you see it enough times that you that maybe what might have started as sort of a mystified enjoyment or even a possibly ironic enjoyment sort of transitions into something much more direct and sincere, which is completely legitimate. Um, but uh, but I don't know, like just going, you have to watch this because it's so awful. Um, it's not something I I, I enjoy anymore. Uh, you know, I mean, I have some friends who every Thanksgiving they watch Larry Crown. Oh God! Ugh. Oh no, uh, no. I wouldn't. I would no. never tell you to do that. No, and, and,
0: that's and Nick they, Robinson, right?
3: <laughs> yes, yes. And they <laughs> good they job, devote, Nick. They devote a, a, a what I would consider a deeply unhealthy amount of energy to to like watching and sort of championing that experience in the movie, which I think is like just disastrously awful and um and like i don't know i mean i certainly have watched movies where like oh i i didn't like that at first and then i came around to it um but i mean there's a difference between like a movie that's like oh yeah i thought that was okay and then i discovered how much better it is than i maybe originally thought and one that's like just completely awful and it's like no you need to watch this again with fresh eyes or some other perspective and i'm not I guess especially inclined i feel i mean i feel like the disaster artist does as far as i can tell a a very good job of sort of capturing the energy in that metatextual way that you were talking about aaron mm-hmm. sort of like you know capturing sort of the madcap spirit of it sort of being cobbled together in this very you know kind of anarchic way and i which i respect and i and again i you know i respect uh the, the folks like luke who who enjoy it um but that's not that's not at least in this particular case it's not really for me
1: yeah certainly that's you know one of the most subjective things possible as far as like yeah come see this horrible movie with me you'll probably like that that, the enjoyment you get out of that varies by person
0: yeah i'm not going to try to sell todd on the room but todd you should see troll too i really do think you would enjoy (laughs) that.
3: all right i will take that under advisement i mean you know to me it's sort of like I was having a conversation with somebody about David Gordon green on Friday and we were mutually agreeing my, my colleague and I that we both liked your highness. Cause it's amazing. I, you're right. I mean, that's, and <laughs> you know, and I mean like to me, I really enjoy that movie. Similarly. I mean, McGruber is like one of the greatest comedies of all time. Also, you true. know,
4: <laughs> that's and true. Those
3: movies that were like sort of disastrously regarded or, you know, huge flops at the time. And I think that's different, you know? Um, because you, you know, in some cases with something like that, you have to just get out from underneath the expectation of its box office failure at the time or even like, you know, in some cases, I think that movies are just there of a certain moment that people aren't quite ready to appreciate. I mean, Pop Star another Yorma Tacone movie is the same way, you know, it's yeah. like I think that's such a great movie and it flopped and like I don't think that it got particularly great reviews it but could, it's a it, very
1: good pop star pop star did get good reviews actually compared to especially compared to hot rod and and um the Gruber sure but uh, yeah, it was just nobody showed up for some reason like that yeah which yeah. Was, but, I mean, but that's uh, yeah. sort of
3: my point is that I feel like you know it's like you have to get past in some cases it's like oh I heard this movie's terrible and it's like well no it just didn't do well that's not quite the same yeah. thing yeah right? I, I agree the barometer yeah,
2: yeah. Well, yeah, those are definitely two different definitions. I mean, I, what I loved about this, uh, the disaster, is it was in the beginning you have these, these uh, actors and comedians who basically just were their real um, feelings about the movie. And I forget who said it, but it's like if you uh, if Adam you were Scott. to ask,
1: yeah.
2: was it Adam Scott? Yeah, yeah. were you, if you were to ask somebody to make a movie like this this they would not be able to do something like this is, if you're if you're
1: asked like this, this the, the top mysterious. if you're asked like the top five directors to make something like this they couldn't do it like that, that, was, the, <laughs>
2: yeah, so that was that's an interesting statement of just like you know they kind of took the seriously they thought they the making a serious movie and then just turned out to be a terrible movie but it just became again cult status so um anyway
1: the um uh, the last thing i'll say on this topic is i'm a big miami connection fan and that's a movie that should be watched <laughs> um the uh, the rock stars that are also ninjas huh uh, Taekwondo artists, I believe. Taekwondo, yeah, sorry. <laughs> they also like grapes. Um, when should people go and see The Disaster Artist? Abe, when should people see this movie?
2: A dollar theater. I mean, I think that it's it's a, it's an enjoyable movie, but uh, you don't have to see it right away. Todd, when would you say people should go and see this movie?
3: Um, I I I can't wait for it to be a cult double feature with The Room. <laughs> like, actually, that would be a way that I might see The Room there. Like, it already <laughs> is,
0: so it's...
2: it's it Sounds like you up. and Luke have a date next Friday. At participating
3: <laughs> Regal Theaters. <laughs> Use a the movie pass. <laughs> but, no, I, mean, I think, you know, I mean, like, it's... I think it's like a... I, I, I think in the same way that The Room is, I'm, I'm certain, an exceptional movie to watch with a crowd. I bet The Disaster Artist would also be a great movie to watch with a crowd. And as a matter of fact, I think people have already told me that, people who saw it in theaters. Uh, but, you know, either that way or... Uh, you know, watch it with some friends, either, uh, you know, in a theater or, or once it comes out on on demand. Luke, when should people go and see this movie?
0: I don't feel like I need to give a recommendation because I think people already know. If they know about this movie, they're already lined up or they've already seen it. And yeah. uh, if they haven't, they'll wait till their friends tell them. But uh, I would not tell them not to pay full price. I think it's worth it, as worth it as any other comedy out there, so... Yeah, as soon as as soon as they feel moved. Jeez, Ava,
1: Luke's really shaking up our rating system here. All right, I know he gave like
0: three. <laughs> I didn't
1: three three know there was a system. Like,
0: Whoa, no, Tommy, it's not. It's not. No,
1: it's no, a. It's, it's good, a. It's it's a just, loose. I'm like
0: Tommy Wiseau, I'm breaking the rules. It's a. It's a loose <laughs>
1: question on purpose because it's a. It's a better approach than stars. I think it's like, oh,
0: how would you recommend this? I guess. Yeah, um,
2: Peter Paris. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm
0: just kidding. laughs> I'll say like Tom. I'll I'll say what Tommy says on the room DVD. As an American, I think every American should see this movie. And you need to see it twice because you will not get it the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For the disaster artist, I do think
1: it's worth catching in theaters. I think it's very funny. Um, I, th- I think there's some great work from Franco in particular, um, all of which makes me think, yeah, you should, you should, you should embrace this movie, and uh, perhaps embrace the cult of the room if you feel so inclined to, based off how we've described this whole situation, which is odd to say the least, because there's a feature film starring big movie stars based off a Tommy Wiseau film. Uh, so big
2: Hollywood movie.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, with all that out of the way, let's move on to our next review for *The Shape of Water*. She deaf.
0: Mute, sir. She can hear you.
1: You clean that lab, you get out.
0: This may very well be the most sensitive asset ever to be housed in this facility. You may think that thing looks human. Stands on two legs, right?
1: But we're created in the Lord's image. You don't think that's what the Lord looks like, do you? This creature is intelligent, capable of language...
0: Understanding emotions.
1: That should have been some of the trailer for The Shape of Water. Guillermo del Toro has had an interesting career that almost feels punctuated by his prestige efforts. Mimic was followed by The Devil's Backbone, Blade 2 and Hellboy were followed by Pan's Labyrinth, and after Hellboy 2, Pacific Rim, and Crimson Peak, we now have The Shape of Water, which has been getting rave reviews and Oscar attention. The film concerns a mute janitor working at a government research facility in 1960s America. This is Eliza, played by Sally Hawkins, who finds herself drawn into a aquatic tests drawn to an aquatic test subject that looks like a cousin of the free creature of the black lagoon as that relationship takes shape the head of security michael shannon and another scientist michael stuhlbarg also have ideas of what to do with this thing todd i know you're a
3: big sally hawkins fan if i'm not mistaken oh i am
1: what what did what did you think of of uh, of performance in the shape of water
3: I mean, she was, uh, she was certainly giving one of the, I think one of the best performances of the year. Uh, I was, I was in the chorus of people at the Los Angeles Film Critics Association voting session that was, um, promoting her as, as, uh, as one of the best, if not the best of the year. And, uh, and I think she does an amazing job. I have had mixed feelings about Guillermo del Toro's films. I think that they are um, in a uh, somewhat similar way to someone like Tim Burton. like He conceives these worlds that I think are really incredible, but um, I haven't always felt like the stories have matched them. Um, and this, to me, feels like uh, one of the, the best sort of balances of that, like in terms of building a universe and creating these very vivid characters and then telling a story that in its way is like kind of um, beautifully uncomplicated, and uh and it's I mean, visually it's it's stunning. Um, and I think that she carries the movie so effortlessly um and in a really beautifully strong way that is uh that, that both showcases the character's vulnerability and her her determination in a in a I don't know, sort of a weirdly unique and pure way. And not just because she cannot speak, um, but just because of sort of this development of feelings that she has and how that manifests in her choices i don't know i thought it was wonderful
1: luke what, what have your what are your thoughts on del toro's kind of filmography up to this point what'd you think of this movie
3: well
0: i think todd's tim burton comparison is on point because i think this is his edward scissorhands this is guillermo del toro's i am the i would monster. agree i am the monster this is my semi-autobiography in a in an allegorical sense I'm the guy who's always chained down and forced to do these things against my will that dilute my incredible power. But once somebody finds me who really understands me, then I can do what I want, and I really got that sense so strong from this. And also, if you told me about a decade ago that I would be in awe of the star of Happy-Go-Lucky, I might not have believed you, but she has turned me around completely. I think the movie itself is a little bit long. I would shorten it just a bit, but other than that, this is... This is sort of the culmination. This is what he's been working towards as a personal statement. Abe, how about you?
2: I really enjoyed this movie as well. I mean, I think that Todd, you uh, brought up a really good point about the character, or I'm sorry, the world building in this. Um, I think uh, the cinematography in here is is just super excellent. The production design and also the lighting um, is just is just done on this level where I was uh, kind of always looking in the background just to see what I could see, um, and I know that's either like a backlot set or um, maybe even green screened and CGI, but it was it looked it looked amazing um, as far as the story goes. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a Gilmore of the Thor movie where it's got this se- seemingly fairy tale esque uh, quality to it, um, especially with the narration by Richard Jenkins, who is also really good in this movie uh, and kind of playing this like reclusive and, and, and I guess. Recently laid off uh, artist uh, with the changing of the times kind of thing. Um, everybody here is really good, actually. Uh, I I love Michael Shannon, and he kind of always seems to play like this uh, kind of like I guess what would you say like brutish and strong character. Uh, but hey, it works in this movie. And Michael Stuhlbarg is really good in this movie as well. I mean, he's kind of like this complex character. Uh, given that he's got to work with uh, the the creature and also kind of working with his feelings kind of thing in in terms of being a scientist, right? Um, But uh, I agree with um, Luke also that it it feels kind of long. At some points I felt as though perhaps it could have been condensed, but ultimately the visuals and kind of the storytelling really take it. um, I I wanted to see more of where it was going to go, even though it may not have, have been like, you know, it's not as though I was looking for like gun chases or whatever the case is. It's just more I was I was kind of just curious as to um, perhaps what this creature might be able to do, where it was going to go with that, and some hits and some misses for me. But um, on the whole, it's a it's very, very beautiful-looking movie.
1: You're not going to find me complaining about anything in this movie. I, I think it's utterly fantastic. I, I think Guillermo del Toro, he's done a tremendous job of creating yet another world that is fascinating to kind of look at. Uh, see how he plays around with the various ideas, creatures, characters that he's created for to populate this world. Um, the cinematography is excellent here. The performances across the board are fantastic. Hawkins is really good here, making it very difficult for me to determine who is giving the best, uh, you know, lead actress performance of the year. There's a plethora. There's a plethora of, uh, of supporting performances here that I think are all excellent as well. Richard Jenkins just is <laughs> i i have not i have just so much praise for all of the aspects of this movie so it's just gonna be a meal, listing things if i go off that route but I, there's yeah there's a lot of things here uh i think doug jones who's you know plays the kind of the creature in question I, obviously yes there's not much of a character beyond you know it's the it's the thing here in the middle and you know why certain things are happening the way they are but there's there is a lot there I think in the kind of the way he moves the way he reacts and how Dotoro decides to use that character and to you know put place him into certain situations where the situation might be inevitable as far as what's going to happen or you know whatnot and even predictable in some sense but I'm I'm still intrigued by how he decides to use that thing I'm um, never I was never necessarily frightened of him or if it was going to turn bad in some way or whatnot it's just more of the way he's expressing curiosity through this creature, I found to be really neat to see unfold. Um, at the same time, uh, the exact opposite of that is Michael Shannon's character, who I also found to be completely compelling throughout this film, despite, you know, hating him for the most part. Um, yeah. He's given his shades, um, which, you know, the best kind of films can do. Uh, and you can even think of that with Guillermo del Toro's other, in my eyes, masterpiece, Pan's Labyrinth, where he has the right. cart- the, um, the, the general um, captain, I mean, Captain, the yeah. Captain, Captain Vidal, um, who is a fantastic character for a variety of reasons in that film, um, but he's also a monster. And much like this film, you have a monster, and you have other monsters within said film. And so it's it's just there's there's a lot here uh, that I like that Guillermo de Toro is doing that he's used to as far as what he's explored before in his themes, as far as making like adult fairy tales, mm-hmm. having a fantastical. A sense of ideas and how to express them um, having the story follow a certain template to a point but still have other ways to intrigue you I mean this is he's he's putting cinema on screen here it's it's just it's it's such a visual film and so full of you know life essentially I just I hadn't I had no issue watching this movie you know as I've seen it twice so far I look forward to seeing it more times nice.
2: I like how you guys brought up Luke and, and uh, Todd. I like how you guys brought up, uh, and I think Aaron too, you guys uh, were essentially saying that this is kind of like a metaphor for Del Toro's work in Hollywood. And while it makes sense, like the part that in, it resonates even more is when is when Shannon is talking to the general guy at the end, they're like, come on, man, i worked with you guys for like 13 years. You know me. It's like, dude like if you don't deliver you're done kind of thing it's like yeah that that really if if this is truly like general del toro saying hey by the way you know i don't really like working with some of you guys even though i have to that's a it, it's a stinging criticism of the industry so get on del toro for uh for putting his thoughts on paper here michael shannon is universal's
0: dark universe
3: I do what I do really like about Michael Shannon in this movie is that the the, is that is that del Toro really conceives him in a way that dimensionalizes him as much as any of the other characters. Yes. Um, That that you know what's motivating him as much as anything else I mean notwithstanding sort of his sort of villainous ignorance and and sort of indifference to what he perceives to be an animal is sort of the desperation of his own position within this, within this community that he's working in. And, you know, like in a way that, you know, he sort of seems to, like he goes and he gets that car, which to me seems like even a uh, like, it's like all that stuff is sort of a facade of his own success. Mm hmm that he i think is trying to present to the world to convince of of his, as much himself as everyone else
1: it's it's funny like del toro is one of the few directors that i really like how obvious he makes some of the 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 Reference subtext the re- yeah. the, re- the re- and subtext and whatnot or like you like the fingers it's like it's the, there's there's a way to underplay some of these elements, but Del Toro just puts it all right in front of you on screen. And sometimes that works for the better. And sometimes it works for the worse. Uh, I happen to like all of Del Toro's films. I do think there's some that have flaws or whatnot, or less, I have less admiration for the sure. stories or how they go about doing something and more of just the work that went into doing said things. But for this film and a few of his others, I, I, I see so much of like the way he crafts things, puts it all together I don't. I don't mind how how visual he makes the idea sometimes, if that makes sense. It's just it's right there in front of you, and you get it. But he has a way of playing with that, where I'm into it. I'm into seeing Michael Shannon's gross fingers just displayed prominently to remind me constantly of this of what I'm supposed to think of this guy and how his life's unraveling before him.
2: Also, to add to that, I, what's interesting is is um, the fleshing out of his character. I mean, you see his family, see his kids, you know, uh, and Nuclear then family.
0: you you his also see cheek. i'm sorry see his butt cheeks
2: yeah his butt cheeks
3: <laughs> you see his butt cheeks <laughs> you true. also
2: see james franco's butt cheeks it's it's a butt cheek weekend um but uh what's interesting is also del toro's care like a throwaway character at a diner you know what i mean like he just it's it's uh, sure it's kind of like a it's a so- social commentary because this takes place in the 60s so there's uh I think it's hinting at at some of the the humanity of, of uh, Richard Jenkins' character. Yeah, you
1: have a, uh, a closet homosexual and Octavia Spencer's character. I mean, so it's 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 making it pretty again, it's making it pretty clear,
2: <laughs> like the time right.
1: frame and the celebration yeah. of the other that kind of thing. It's, right.
2: But you know, just the cra- the crafting care of hey, I didn't have to give this this you know restaurant worker any lines at all, but I'll do it because it's going to help propel the story and then propel one of my characters along, um, which. Yep, it does and I'm glad because that's a that's a turning point in the movie uh would you guys think of um practical effects I mean del Toro is very very prominent with practical effects I mean I'm glad that he who's the person that plays the um Doug Jones doug Jones yeah so this, yeah
1: there's some like Cg modification but even then there's very sure. min- there's minimal Cg I mean this is not an expensive movie for one part but there's also if it's very beyond some obvious scenes involving water there's not much cg use in this movie and it yeah it's work to kind of make it all put it all on screen it shows like it shows in the craft and the detail of the sets the use of color the, the 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 underground or the whatever the research facility that we see or the apartments like and then you have this creature in the middle of all yeah it it works really well i never i get that it's you know you know a fairy tale but at the same time it has this kind of it's heightened but it's also real at the same time
3: were you i'm sorry was there a question there
2: Oh, just in terms of your overall thoughts of uh, practical effects and Doug
3: Jones' performance. Oh yeah, I mean I think that, in you know, it's a it's a perfect par- partnership between Doug Jones' performance and Sally Hawkins. Um, mm-hmm. That they are both very you know beautifully physical and at the same time very understated in terms of the communication of the uh, emotion. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Del Toro has talked very specifically about and recently about sort of regretting, not taking on the responsibility of helping universal build that universe of universal monsters sure. that turned into the dark universe. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, like the, it's not any sort of profound observation on my part to acknowledge how, how similar this, not that this is similar to creature from the black lagoon, but how easily creature from the black lagoon could be sort of adapted to this story. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I think that he understands, you know, how to explore a creature like this without demystifying it, and um, and because he uses the creature in service of a larger idea, which is you know all these disparate individuals who feel alienated and alone is a sort of a metaphor for what they're going through, and it's how they connect in their in their individual alienation, mm-hmm. um, and I think that. You know, I mean, this just as a creature, it just looks rad.
2: Yeah, it does. But yeah.
3: but built into you know this little you know room with the little wading pool and all that other stuff, and then and then building it into these other sets where they're floating around and doing all this kind of stuff is just it's just super cool to me. I I, I, I think it's fantastic. Uh,
1: great score here by Alexander Desplat. Um, I've listened to it. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah, I I,
3: I've listened to it a number
1: of times at this point. Uh, It's it's (laughs) it it has this great kind of I'm gonna say fairy tale It has this great fairy tale vibe, but also it it has this. It reminded me of Amelie actually. Uh, There's Hmm. there's this kind of the the film itself actually kind of reminds me of Amelie a little bit. Yeah, same Uh, here. Very much. Yeah, but the just it's a it's the 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 kind of the rhythms Desplat uses to convey things how he brings the score into the the world a bit uh, early on we have uh hawkins like whistling to the music or whatnot there's just like little touches like that that make it all the more personal uh, and it just it I, I appreciate it very much it's just it's a really nice score to go along with a movie that has you know it has adult things going on in it but at, the, at its core it is this you know lovely romance
2: yeah i think that the the, uh, the romance aspect a bit, especially when she's talking to richard jenkins about just about why you know. About why, yeah, and, and it, it kind of just, uh, it's kind of a bummer because, yeah, obviously to, to steal a line from uh, Steve Jobs, you know, it, she's just quote unquote poorly made kind of thing. And she's looking for somebody who will, who doesn't care about that stuff and just comes in the form of this South American creature with uh, shiny gills and blue, blue light, blue lights.
0: Anybody else think Kevin Costner is kicking himself that he made the Gilman movie way too early? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep, yeah, definitely. He's like, man, could have made that. <laughs>
3: he's, he's like he's like the Tommy Wiseau of the <laughs> Gilman movie.
1: <laughs> what did you guys think of Octavia Spencer's performance? My feet already killed me. I
4: made Brewster pigs in the blanket tonight before
0: leaving. Boy, he just ate them up. No thank yous, no yum yums, not a feet. Man is as silent as a grave. But if farts for flattery, kind of he be Shakespeare.
2: And then I get home and I make him breakfast. Eggs, bacon,
3: and butter toast. I butter the man's toast a lot. Mm-hmm. Both sides. As if he was a child. And I don't even get a thank you. You would be grateful, because. You're an educated woman, but my Bruce, all he had going for him was animal
4: magnetism back in the day. <laughs> Hadn't worked in a while. What in the sand hill? No! You boys mind putting the trash in the can? That's what it's there for.
2: I liked it, but I didn't think it was a uh, particularly standout until the end when she confronts her husband. I have a, so I have that similar reaction. like because I don't
1: think she's a weak spot in any way, but it's more of we've talked about this at this point where she gives a lot of mm-hmm kind of performances in movies that's kind of, <laughs> we've brought this yeah. up before and there's a lot of that in here. Like I think it's, it's I, her relationship with Eliza is strong. Like it's a nice kind of balance between the two. And I, I like the kind of confrontation she has with various people, including her husband. It's just, I, you know, I, I see like praise going towards her again and it's like, all right, she's good. And she was like good in hidden figures last year. But it's like, I, she's a character actress that's doing the kind of thing that she's good at doing. I, 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 I was kind of hoping there'd be another, like something beyond just that confrontation scene. something that really kind of sends it over the top for her. Cause everyone else, I think gets a great, you know, a number of great moments to really work with, including Michael Stuhlbarg, including obviously Michael Shannon, Natalie Hawkins, Richard Jenkins.
2: Yeah. That's it good. just didn't really, it kind of hockey sticked for her. Um, kind of, it, it wasn't as a, gra- a gradual buildup to this payoff. I mean, even with Michael Shannon's character, um, kind of, I love what he says at the end there, but um, it's uh, she's all right. Because well, Michael, Michael Shannon gets a lot of really good monologues
1: to work with in this movie. <laughs>
2: yeah, he really does. But I mean, just I love what he says at the end. You just wow, that's it's like there you go. And uh, in any case, um, you you mentioned anomaly and That was actually a movie that I thought of a lot too. Not just uh, not just because Richard Jenkins plays like a reclusive neighbor who loves painting. <laughs> um, but just, uh, yeah, I mean, Sally Hawkins kind of being this, she's, uh, a, uh, a, a, I guess a socially awkward, she's not socially awkward, she's, she's mute, but, uh, she kind of plays like that socially awkward Amelie kind of figure where she ob- observes almost everything. Um, and then she ha- plays things up in her own mind kind of thing. So I certainly got that feeling, but I was like, you know, maybe it's just like a nice little, a little nod at Amelie. I, I think the connection's fairly obvious um, and I, I don't
1: think it's beyond Del Toro to recognize that i know these he has a lot of references in this movie uh i, I keep I, I was thinking of amelie in bioshock a lot watching um shape of water <laughs> um but i know like he went he run a lot for um pal and pressburger films old things like red shoes um, he, he was talking about that a lot uh, with kind of inspiration for the shots in this movie and it shows in just the way he's again using color and having his, his cinematography, the way he's kind of moving the camera constantly. The movie the movie never stops as far as the way the camera goes, but just like right. show, showing these interiors of these apartments, uh, seeing the the way the lab works uh, to the varying degrees. Like it's just it's I I, fi- I find it all fascinating. I, and it was it's neat to see him kind of channeling so much of what he loves about movies into an into one of his own movies in a way that doesn't feel like it's. It's not Tarantino as far as, like, look at, you know, I mean, I'm so in your face about this in, like, the you know the most radical way possible, and it's, or it's not like, it's not, it's not like a parody, obviously, it's his own style, it very much feels like a del Toro film, but it, I think it does do a great job of showing his love for cinema um, in ways that his other films not necessarily do they do in various ways something like pacific rim shows his love for kaiju movies or you know what have you <laughs> crimson peak obviously shows a love for like gallo giallo movies and haunted house films what have you and gothic romances this one is different like it has a whole kind of this channeling like 50s films and along with you know obviously well, i guess you know monster movies that kind of thing. it's it's a huge emotional land yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, there is there is what I think is one of the best scenes in any movie of this year where it goes from into a black and white sequence, which is,
2: I think, utterly fantastic. It would have been great if somebody was wearing a tuxedo in that in that scene. I would be like, this is a little over top, but I'm going with it. It was great as it is. I, I was
1: worried that there would be like Doug Jones <laughs> in a tuxedo. All of a sudden. I was so happy with just how, how it
2: totally played. The WB the WB frog just is on screen. <laughs> Whatchamacallit, I uh, I want to ask you, Luke, uh, you and I kind of thought that it, it could have been maybe cut a little bit shorter. Um, were there any particular spots, or what was something that was perhaps uh, you noticed?
0: Um, I, it's not particular spots. I feel like they could have picked up the pace a little sooner, um, especially since what felt like the climax was only like the second act break. And by the time I was like, okay, this is the climax—they're breaking them out—and it's like, oh, okay, we got a whole another act to go now. I feel like it could have the root the path to that. I think maybe could have been contracted a little bit.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: That's—I mean—that's why. That's part of what makes me like the
1: movie more. That it doesn't feel. I, it plays to a certain model, but I do think it messes around with things by not playing to that convention where it's like, okay, we just need to do this thing, and then we solved it. It's like I like that there's. More going on than just what wh- where where another movie would end. This one keeps going and explores things a bit more. I I I, I was happy to
0: embrace that. I agree I'm also, with that. I'm also still sort of reconciling in my head what the biblical movies at the theater have to do with it because you know he's referred to as a god,
4: uh-huh.
0: and mm-hmm. there's there's a subtext going on there that I haven't quite fully reconciled in my mind, but that's definitely there.
2: I got the Mardi Gras reference because you know he lights up like beads, so I got yeah. that one.
1: There's, I mean, there's a number of things nestled in there that I look <laughs> forward to, uh, you know, see, you know, re- when I revisit the film, which I intend to do because I really like right. it a lot, um, to the extent of, you know, we're coming up with top ten lists soon, and certainly I know where this one's going to be probably placing around. Mm, uh, okay. I, I, I look forward to getting a chance to keep watching this in the future, especially with another probably fantastic Del Toro commentary track, like just to, just to hear more about what went into this movie and have my own thoughts on what to take away from it and what have you. Abe, what was, what did did you have as far as like where it was maybe too long for you? Do you have a thought on that?
2: Uh, it was, it was kind of around the same part. I mean, it wasn't so much that I actually liked the, the heist and then I liked, uh, what they had to do after it, but there's kind of like a, sort of like a small little lull as to when, when, um, when the creature kind of starts getting ill, I guess, uh, and I was like, "Well, you know, I, I, I guess because you're you're in you're in anticipation because of what Sally Hawkins says. You know, she looks at her calendar constantly because she has to know what day of the, what uh-huh. day of the week it is, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, you know, I understand that there's they actually don't explicitly say it, but you can calculate uh, based off of a conversation between she and Richard Jenkins what the time frame is, and I think that could have been played up a little bit more sped up a little bit more so that's really where where the level kind of comes in but i agree with you and todd as to yeah of course you know the exploration of these two together um during that time period is is worth watching it is worth seeing it's it's neat to see that heist is a lot of fun,
1: by the way. I mean, it's such a—it's basically a terrible plan that's based off chance. And it's the, just the, the way.
2: thing. The, yeah, the thing that I liked about it is that um, there are things that do go wrong with it.
1: Pretty much everything goes wrong, except <laughs> except people happen to need there. It's not—it's not even out of like it's not contrivance. Like it's not like it's not like contrivance. Like where it only happened because like it, things only happen for certain reasons, but it's because characters picked up on something or whatnot it's not a it's not like a writer that found himself in a corner and just kind of solved it well whatever like it seems like there's a lot of effort that went into how things needed to come together to make this this whole little heist where in the middle of a movie that's much different than a heist film like it's like oh this is fun like this is a nice little thing going on here it involves some needless murder but you know whatever you know
2: it happens i mean you know that guy's gonna wake up in the morning (laughs) other thoughts on the shape of water was it playing what in uh in IMAX theaters? Did you what format did you guys see this in? It's not IMAX. It's a
1: it's a small fo- it's a Fox Searchlight okay. movie.
2: It's not playing in no IMAX theater. No, I was I was just curious. It was like I don't think that I heard it played in, in any an IMAX
3: either. No, but... it's, not,
1: it's, it's not a big release. It's, it's <laughs> slowly expanding. I, mean, I you, Todd, you watched to a lot of it on a screener.
3: I watched a screener, yeah, and screener. I mean, I I I'm actually really eager to watch it again.
0: Okay, yeah, so I saw it on, on a small theater on the Fox lot, which probably a lot of us did. Yeah. Yeah, I saw both times on the at the Fox screening thing. So, nice.
1: i i'd be I'd welcome a chance to see it on a much bigger screen. I'd, I'd love to see it on IMAX. Why not put it in our Ar- put an ArcLight seventy millimeter? Go for it. Let's, <laughs> let's see how that works. Put it in the Cinerama dome. But um, no, I, yeah, I I think the I, I am. I'm hoping that people want to go and see this movie, not just like, "Hey, look at what all these critics like," and maybe you'll see it. I, I like the I like to hope that even though it's like a small movie uh, that doesn't have too much of a high budget, so it's not as if. Del Toro's is going to take a huge loss on something like this, which he's already getting plenty of acclaim for. I'd like to hope that like there's a it breaks out in some capacity, not necessarily like you know hundred million dollars, but like hey, people went and see that, saw that. That's great. It's yeah. great that people explored something like this. That's a weird movie. It's not. It's not. That's not playing to many conventions beyond like its plot structure. It has some weird stuff going on. It takes some chances.
2: Definitely takes chances.
0: Yeah, I love her. I, I love her hand gestures when she demonstrates how the creature's genitalia works. That's a classic.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> there's there's some good use of sign in this movie. I mean, like her telling off yeah. Michael
2: Shannon in
1: the in that best. Possible. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was great.
2: And he's so angry. That's how good Michael Shannon is. You I was like I firmly believe that he was really upset. <laughs>
1: well, with all that's it. Let's uh let's rate it then in our own way. Uh what, Abe, when should people see this movie?
2: Yeah, I would say theater. I mean you should see it uh in a theater setting. Luke? Now. There you go. Todd? I like it.
3: I think you got to get out there ASAP and see it. I agree with uh, I agree with Luke.
1: Yeah, I I see no reason not to see something like this. It's it's a fantastic vision of a director who's firing on all cylinders in my eyes. So yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Shape Water out in theaters now. So is a Disaster Artist. So we've covered those. Done it. Did those are Did it? Yep. Let's uh let's move on now. Let's get to our uh, out now feedback.
2: Feedback. Feedback. Feedback.
1: This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash shot now podcast. We asked the listeners a number of questions. They gave us answers. Then they, crazy enough as it is, gave us questions. That's I, crazy. I know. Uh, Todd, <laughs> Luke, feel free to uh, chime in if you feel uh, feel feel you know feel the need to. we got a number of questions here.
2: Yeah, first question we asked everybody What is your favorite movie about making movies? Chris writes Easy, Tropic Thunder. Manish has Singing in the Rain. Jeez. Gary has Day for Night. Justin has Avatar. No, or, I'm sorry, no, the no. aviator. <laughs> like, yeah, not I'm a like, movie about it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, for the show, A.B. has Singing in the Rain. And lastly, Stephen has Ed Wood, uh, especially Johnny Depp's performance.
0: It's not my pick, but no eight and a half. It's a, it's a good pick. Sure.
3: Living in Oblivion is a good movie. It's a good one, too. I'm a huge Ed Wood fan. Um, I, and, I mean, Ed Wood's. Awesome! I will shout out hey. Bowfinger.
1: I really like Bowfinger. I, that Bowfinger's was, great. Oh, that, that's,
2: a, that's a good callback. It's like
1: one of the last times Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy were both funny. So we're I mean, both
4: funny,
2: yeah. yeah.
3: Oh wow, man! You just straight came through with the Hot Take Express. <laughs> I know there's there's I mean, there's a lot of
2: us love Showtime, Todd. There's a there's a lot of a, of a thousand
1: know. words fans out there, but you know.
2: <laughs> or Norbit.
1: <laughs> Is uh, Norbit
2: making a movie? Oh no, just, oh, I'm, just
1: yeah. got it. Yeah. Next one here. What is the best worst movie you've ever seen? Manish writes, Showgirls is so bad it wraps back around and becomes a masterpiece. <laughs> Joe writes Birdemic. Tyler writes Master of Disguise. Like it's really bad, but I think I'm more tolerant of it since it came out when I was eight. Uh Dennis writes, I've always dug Schumacher's Batman. So Batman Forever, Batman Robin. Uh Justin writes, Come on, Wild Wild West has to be on that list. Thank you, Justin, for continuing to find ways to bring wild wild west up on our podcast uh chris writes anaconda or
0: roadhouse and rebecca writes grease 2 hmm. all good picks the theatrical cut of battlefield earth which has never been released on dvd would be one of mine uh, you say theatrical because the director is it actually a masterpiece is right is that, is that what it is? because <laughs> after it came out travolta had some of his most absurd scenes trimmed and added back in more scenes of barry pepper to try to make him more heroic and it doesn't make the movie better and it makes it less good bad oh, so that's, that's why so i say the theatrical cut.
1: Oh, so shout Factory needs to be all over this then we need to get that going yeah. get, that, yeah. get that theatrical cut
0: scientology may need the money soon enough
1: you know their best uh, worst movies best worst movie the fp uh big fan of that there you go you're an fp fan i'm a miami connection fan so we got we got yeah. our our draft house films covered, got covered yeah
3: yeah you definitely got draft house covered um I would say, uh, I mean, I mentioned Pieces earlier. That's a movie that I, I mean, I adore it. Um, it's great. But, but uh, it's like a absolutely shit crazy, but it is fantastic.
0: I don't think Pieces is in any way bad, but that's just me.
3: <laughs> no, no, but I mean, like, you know, it's, it's it, I mean, it's like a certifiable movie. I mean, you know, it's just like, okay, we're going to have a scene of like a girl on a skateboard skate through a, plate glass window that two men are carrying that has no relationship to any other thing in the movie or, you know, a, a Bruce Lee imitator, you know, jumps out of the shadows and attacks this woman. And when he gets knocked down, he said, Oh, I got bad chop suey and then runs off. And again, there's no relationship with (laughs) anything else that happens in the entire movie. Those to me are, are sort of non sequiturs that, uh, I think maybe, you know, beg a little forgiveness. They, they 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 require it for you to appreciate the movie. I will say uh, a movie that I, I quite like a lot uh, that people hate is uh, Land of the Lost.
1: Oh. Hmm. That's one where I really wanted to like Land of the Lost, and I always felt it would be... I If it was PG, I I, I think I would have liked it more. Like, I think if it, if it toned down some of its not necessarily the weirdness, but some of the kind of the more lewdness and kind of reined it in it a bit, I think I went be more on board. And
3: that's exactly why I love it. I mean, I, I very specifically remember like the, the weekend that it came out, I actually did an interview with Brad Silberling on the phone, like on the Friday that it opened. I don't know how it has got coordinated, but I just remember saying, it's like the filthiest kids movie I've ever seen. <laughs> that It's utterly fantastic. Um, I mean, it has some utter uh, some completely fantastic jokes um but it also um i mean it's so weird you have this entire like hallucination sequence set yeah. to seals and Crofts, which uh <laughs> i love seals and Crofts uh in spite of their anti-abortion stance in the 70s uh but they but like summer breeze is one of my all-time favorite songs and uh and and a, in any sort of drug <laughs> trip sequence set to to Summer Breeze or any scene of any kind set to Summer Breeze. I'm pretty (laughs) much. Okay. (laughs) I also just thought of one nudist
0: colony of the dead. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that one, but it's an it's a musical shot in super eight. It's (laughs) interesting. It's try. The funny thing is it's trying so hard to be so bad. It's good, but it kind of fails at it and becomes amazing. Hmm.
2: One of those, huh? One to, of those.
0: To, uh, to go back to Land
1: of the Lost for a second, I do admire the ending, which features a book titled Matt Lauer can suck it. I think that's a that's a good way to, to cap
2: on. <laughs> it's definitely Mo. very timely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question is, what is your favorite film about an, about an eccentric character? Gary has Rosalind Russell in Auntie Mame. Chris has the Aviator. Uh, Jason has Sherlock Holmes murder and, and murder on the Orient Express. Uh, Manish has Bringing Up Baby, Catherine Hepburn's uh, role. Joe has The Dark Knight. And lastly, Justin has Edward Scissorhands. Do you guys have an eccentric, a movie about an eccentric character? Favorite eccentric character? Um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Sure. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Pee-wee's
1: Big yeah. Adventure.
3: Yeah. Pee-wee's Big Adventure is still my favorite. Burton? Still my favorite Burton movie probably. It's a good one.
2: Yeah, I I like the way that Aaron characterized it, which is like it's literally as if you were to go inside of Tim Burton's mind and just play
3: around in there. It's like, yeah, that seems accurate. Well, at least when he was still making good movies. That's true. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Our uh, our next question is a favorite film about trying to become a star or making it big in life. Greg writes, does Scream count? Which I responded, I think Scream 2 kind of goes along that lines a little bit more. Um. Chris writes, Wolf of Wall Street also has also have to add fear of the black hat of a black hat. Gary writes, A Star is Born, an old chestnut about to be brought back to the screen with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Farron writes, Inside Lewin Davis or Over the Top. <laughs> Justin writes, Almost Famous or perhaps Spinal Tap. And Manish writes, Begin Again.
2: These are some good answers that we
3: got here. Oh, Begin Again. Oh, so
0: good. Yeah. I'm going to throw in the Muppet movie. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Muppet
3: yeah, that's movies. a good one. Yeah, it's great.
0: Because
2: like with Begin Again, it feels like every movie that that director has made is a good answer for this. How about waiting, yeah?
3: How about Waiting for Guffman? Waiting yep. for
2: Guffman. Yeah. Um, or
3: uh,
2: what's it? What's it? Boogie Nights. A good <laughs>
3: yeah. Boogie Nights, my all-time favorite movie. Yeah.
2: All time? Wow. Okay.
3: Yeah.
2: I'm gonna get uh, Mark Wahlberg to unapologize then.
3: Yeah, he can. He can like it or not. I don't need his approval to like (laughs) the greatest movie ever made. Um, Cool.
2: Uh, Next question is, what is your favorite film featuring an aquatic monster or creature? Chris has Pacific Rim, hashtag Del Toro rocks. Uh, Justin has Jaws in the Abyss. And lastly, Greg has Grabbers. I don't think I've seen Grabbers.
1: This this reminds me of how much I would really like to see an update of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. But, sorry, I'm sorry. What was the question? Uh, uh, favorite I've... film featuring an, an
0: aquatic monster or creature? Oh, well, probably The Abyss. Yeah, that's pretty unbeatable. I mean, but I, w- I do say I will say I like the Hellboy movies if you count Abe Sapien. There you go. I will allow it. I like that Jaws was brought into this.
2: Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, that's a solid answer. Yeah. Uh,
1: okay. Next one. Favorite film set during the Cold War. Alessandro writes, Big fan of 13 Days, the Cuban Missile Crisis movie with Kevin Costner and Bruce Greenwood. Manish writes, Kiss Me Deadly. That's a great answer that I really like. Uh, Chris writes, Failsafe or Manchurian Candidate. Red October also rocks. And Justin writes, I think The Hunt for the Red October fits in there.
0: I
2: mean, nobody here is mentioning Daryl.
0: Wait, set Cold- set set during or specifically involving because <laughs> I mean, like Ghostbusters is set during the Cold right, War. I mean, yeah,
1: let's let's go. I think we with involving
0: the Cold War. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Nobody says doctor. Nobody said Doctor Strangelove.
3: Hmm. That would be great. Awesome. That's a great answer. Yeah. yeah that movie's okay.
0: <laughs> I've
2: never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you didn't even get the full title.
0: There's actually a dispute on right-wing blogs right now about Dr. Strangelove not being very good. It's, it's a thing happening right at the moment. That's great for them.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> good, good on their message board. <laughs>
2: uh, last question here is, what's your favorite film about a monster in the wild? Justin has, well, Predator comes to mind, but would Pete's Dragon count? Yes, of course. The new the version re- was certainly. Uh, And lastly, Chris has, Dog Soldiers. Finally got to mention it. A which mon- I still haven't seen.
1: A monster in the wild, where the wild things are.
0: Wonderful movie. Throw
1: it, throwing that in there because I really that's no, one movie. of the best
2: trailers ever made.
1: But it's multiple monsters. The question said a
2: monster. Okay,
1: yeah, you got you got me. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Whenever Luke's on this podcast, I get considered by semantics when writing these questions for the listener feedback. <laughs> A monster. I'm he's attention. So I can't. Yeah. I can't say Troll Hunters either.
0: <laughs> so. Also a good movie though. Yeah,
1: I finally saw. Try. It's been like years. I had that on my Netflix. I finally watched it like a couple months ago. It's pretty good. <laughs> I like to clip. It. <laughs> uh, what else? A monster in the wild. Well, Jaws again. Yeah. I. Think. Yeah. Okay. How about American Werewolf in London?
3: Going with that one. That's very good. That's yeah. a very good film.
2: Uh, now we move to questions that everybody asked us, uh, or that uh, f- fans of the show asked us, and feel free to answer it as a panel here. Gary asks, "Which of the fo- or which of the unrealized Guillermo del Toro projects, uh, examples, The Hobbit, Mountains of Madness, Frankenstein, Hellboy three, etc., do you wish would have happened?"
1: I'll, I think Hellboy I'll- three. Hellboy 3 is probably the one that I want just because I really like to see where that story you know ends because there's you know it, it ends on a cliffhanger essentially of two. So I'd like to know how that would have wrapped up. I, I think I'll always be curious what his Hobbit films would have looked like if he was I agree. them. Yeah. I didn't I wouldn't necessarily want to see them more than some of these other ones because his Mounds of Madness is also one I'd be very curious about. but given that I've seen the Hobbit films, I'd be curious what the other version of this was going to be.
3: Uh, I mean, I would say probably The Hobbit. I, I mean, only uh, probably more than anything because I don't, I, I don't like, I don't know At the Mountains of Madness well enough to have uh, uh-huh. an opinion about it. I, I do think that, I mean, if I heard correctly, the reason that he exited Hobbit was because they wanted to engineer three movies out of a story that did not
1: necessitate it,
3: n- need <laughs> that length. Um, and I would love to have seen a version of the Hobbit that was more streamlined, um, and, and probably, uh, via his, uh, sensibility, uh, weird, um, you know, and I, I think that would be terrific, but, uh, other than that, I don't have particularly strong feelings, I guess. And then
2: also creeping into Aaron and Abe's game corner, uh, the Sutton Hill Konami thing where he dropped, um. Probably because more Konami than, than you know... It wasn't, it wasn't
1: Kojima. They're, they're like besties. Yeah, it wasn't him
2: and Hideo Kojima, but it was just more that Konami seemed to be really giving him a fit, so that would have been interesting to see. I need to bring this
1: up, too. I forgot to write on the thing, but Gary asked us another question about... Um, he was just curious of our thoughts on on the whole um, the Star Trek news this week. Um, if you have not heard... Star Trek news? Yeah, the Star Trek news. If you've not heard, Quentin Tarantino apparently had a very good... He had an idea that was very much liked by Abrams and Paramount and now they're apparently moving forward with developing a movie based on it in some capacity and the word so far is that there's a mandatory R rating um, and Tarantino's Mm -hmm. involvement is still there. I'm in the kind of, this seems all like, you know, just a lot of talk given that Tarantino's done a lot of talking over the years about things that he might do, Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, the 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 fact that there was like the fact that there was like follow up articles to this had me more curious. Do you guys have any thoughts on Star Trek and Tarantino and all this?
3: I mean, you know, the fact that it's going to be an uh, supposedly an R rated Star Trek movie piques my curiosity for sure. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, the truth is that like when I heard it was announced, I was like, okay, well, if that happens, then great. If not, I I won't be surprised. Um, I mean, it sounds to me like paramount very understandably is trying to pounce on this and and make it a reality because they have no franchises uh, yeah. really um i mean I, i'm not even making fun it's just like they just don't know yeah they, they, have, they have, have transformers it. which
1: is not i mean it's it's not doing as well as they once were and there there's not much else i mean
3: yeah the turtles yeah. is so, gone I mean, they, like, yeah, so they need it um and so i you know personally uh i have not seen um Uh, Whatchamacallit. I have not seen Discovery, but I would be, but I am very interested in seeing like new permutations of of maybe some of these characters. I was never a big uh, Next Generation fan. I mean, I kind of was as a kid, but like as an adult, it has not sort of stuck Stuck with with you. And uh, and if, uh, according to the early reports, you know, if it's Patrick Stewart saying he would love to be in it or it's actually an idea that tarantino came up with four of those characters i think that could be really cool um so you know uh and quite frankly more tarantino movies always sounds good to me so i am i'm all for it uh and i hope that it happens nice
0: luke any thoughts on this my issue with star trek is i'm just tired of prequels i'm tired of going back to time periods we know even if they're alternate versions i want to move the story forward and if patrick stewart coming back will do that then i'm for whoever will do that and it would seem like the obvious thing. But also, I can see Tarantino as a fanboy being, I'm going to be the guy who does the Kirk versus Picard movie, and I would be on board for that, too.
3: Yeah, that would be dope. That
1: would be dope. I think the thing I keep in mind, and, you know, you know, Abe, you know this, and listeners mostly know, I'm fairly indifferent to Star Trek, and I'm a huge Tarantino fan, so this is one of the major conundrums of my <laughs> life right now. But um, <laughs> the the thing that gets me is people's response to this sort of news where it's like oh it's just gonna be a bunch of swears and gangster stuff and i'm like tarantino well, he's
2: not penning the script
1: well he, he would be but also oh, he would be. but He'd also tarantino be. is a massive star trek fan and a excellent filmmaker so i'm not really concerned about his ability to adapt to a franchise if need be i don't i i don't i i understand an r rating witness would probably mean yeah there's going to be more swearing and maybe more overt phaser blasting i guess i don't know but i am not concerned about it suddenly not being star trek anymore as little as i care about that but um, if that's the way things happen that's the way things happen i guess but like todd you put it if it doesn't happen i won't be surprised either there's yeah. plenty of plenty of things tarantino's talked about in his you know decades working in film that have not happened so yeah yeah uh the next question we have is from anise she writes if you had to guess right now what's winning
2: best picture I can't answer that, Manish. I haven't seen everything yet.
3: Um, I would say I think that um, I wish I could say, call me by your name. Um, But I think, uh, I don't know, it's hard for me to say between like sort of the way I think should win and and what I, you know, what sort of will politically align with Uh whatever narrative is happening by the time the awards come around. Yeah.
0: Um, I think Call Me by Your Name has a good shot, which I'm, is unfortunate in my mind because I don't think it's very good. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> uh it has a shot. Um I think if people decide to really rally behind an answer to Oscar's so white, then they'll rally behind Mudbound, but I don't know that they will. I, I'd love but to see that's... more traction suddenly come from Mudbound because it's
1: excellent, but I don't I don't I don't see it, I don't see it happening. Yeah. Give me an answer, Eric. Honestly, I would just going not off my own opinions um, and just more of potential um, and things could obviously shift in the coming months just based off. That's how things happen in the Oscars, but yeah. Dunkirk or the post. Okay.
2: Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't seen as many screeners or all the movies that you guys have, so that's why it's like I probably have to bow on that with Manish. I
3: mean, Honestly, um, I mean, I'm babe, not even. You not... just you just don't have a real serious commitment to this uh, <laughs> profession. Is that is that it? You just don't, <laughs> you know, or, spar- so, or Sparkle Motion for that matter. I, the rest, uh, the <laughs> rest know, of us have devoted ourselves to actually doing this. You're just I'm sort just of like, like a dilettante. It takes
2: too much effort to put a
3: DVD <laughs> into a DVD player.
2: Like, why would I do that when I could just go to a theater? Well, they'll do it for me, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and pay
2: <laughs> additional money
0: services that don't work properly.
1: I mean, honestly, I'm I'm leaving. I'm really leaving the opinion out of it, just going by what the buzz is like right now. And those those kind of yeah. seem like the ones that would be like, well, if how Oscar works,
0: I could see that happening. I, I, I feel like the post is a bit too similar to Spotlight, but at the same time, it's also I've seen that kind very of very much virtue signals itself as like the. I'm holding your hand in the age of Trump and it's going to be okay at the end kind of movie so I don't know
1: I mean, yeah. I, I think oh. Ineritu seemed pretty similar to Ineritu and then he went again and won twice in a row so it's like <laughs> I don't know
2: uh, the last question here for everybody Chris writes wondering what film has uh, had the biggest impact on you whether it be life changing or just left you completely numb um, also, is it your favorite? For me, spending most of my life uh, in or on water watching The Big Blue for the first time was probably my deepest
3: cinematic experience. What movie h- had the most impact yeah, on, on impact. our lives? Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. You know, well, at least you guys went light. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's late evening. <laughs> these,
2: these are our listeners.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, by you guys, I was not uh, saying you specifically. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean... I would say my answer is probably not my favorite movie. Like I don't, I don't think that's the case, but I think there are cuz I'm I'm trying to narrow it down. There's certainly movies that I've responded to in certain ways. What have you? I'm trying to think of a significant answer for this question. Yeah.
2: I mean, it in the moment or cuz I, I certainly it's something you. like Interstellar hits me later and I'm just like, "Oh, that was a better movie than I thought." And also, it really makes me think about the concepts that are being presented in that movie. Um, after the fact um a movie that kind of made me kind of like quietish after i saw it was something like um uh what's that movie with uh, Miles Teller and Ryan Woodley the, uh, the know, um, falls are all, i was going to no, say the other one <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, spectacular spectacular, yeah
1: spectacular now
2: spectacular there we go spectacular, now, spectacular now, now,
1: now. Now. now i was
2: like oh wow this is really well done and it kind of reminds me of like you know first loves kind of thing except for like the last 5 minutes which really ruins the movie but uh in any case, yeah, I, I can't I can't think of anything that like, made me, like, just blew me away and I had to sit in the theater and just think about life for... for I mean, the there was nights.
1: a good period in, I mean, 99, for me, I mean, as a as,
2: yeah.
1: as a person that was, like, a growing up in the 90s and then being, you know, 13, 14, and 99, 2000, in that area, like, there's a lot of movies, especially in, in that year, like Fight Club or The Matrix or whatnot, where... And even now the reputation of those films has become something of its own, which is sometimes a monster, but still the films themselves, those made me start questioning things about like what I love about cinema or what I, where I'm seeing myself and whatnot, just the kind of the way it it addresses behavior in young men. I mean, there's, there's things there. Um, -hmm. even years before that, like I, I saw LA confidential, um, which was ninety seven, and I was like eleven. But I really, res- I really responded to that movie at that time, where it's like this is fan-, like beyond being just a fantastic movie. It's like I'm so into the concept of seeing characters talking to each other right now because of how great this script is for this film and how intricate it's designed and intricately it's designed, and like seeing this aesthetic and whatnot. Like it just it did that was. That was on like on another level for me. where was like this is great, and at that time I was only like eleven ish, and now it's it's still one of my favorite movies, and I still respond to it in various ways. But I mean that that's one that sticks out. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about it right now.
0: I think I'm um, going to answer this as simply as I can, which is Star Wars came out when I was three, and uh, I still can't really assess it as a movie. It is an alternate reality that I'm looking into. Yeah, because it hit me that way when I was a kid. This was real. This was something that was happening out there in space. And there's still an element of that when I watch it. And that is what made me think I want to be making movies. I want to be involved in the filmmaking process. This is where I see my life being centered around this in some form and i knew that pretty early on because of star wars yes yeah. i was i was avoiding star wars and
1: batman 89 on purpose like those are like those are <laughs> those things that are just there and it's like this is just a given in my life like i can't and especially on this podcast we've talked about this a lot abe where we do it's our it's it's hard to get past some of this as far as you should just know it now. Like that's kind of my response. Is like it's Star Wars. Like I I get it. Um, I mean, I welcome the guests to bring it up. Obviously, because not everyone knows they are familiar with the guests, or what have you. And you know, speak yeah. however you want. It's you. But
3: <laughs> like, for the sake of I podcast I don't assume
0: anymore that people are old enough to have seen it first run that I talk to anymore. Because yeah, my coworkers get younger and younger. So even well, yeah, no, then, like I didn't.
1: I mean, I saw it. You know, on VHS at a random like friend of my parents. So it's like it's not like I had this this, this amazing experience <laughs> in like a theater. scene the Story.
3: Time. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Star Wars would be one for me. Empire of the Sun was the first movie that ever made me cry.
2: Oh wow!
4: Okay.
3: Um, when I was eleven or twelve, uh, I mean it was the first movie that I had a real profound emotional response to that was not um, sort of the. Obsession, obsessive toyetic fandom of Star Wars, and I say that not in any way making fun of that because it was something that was extremely meaningful to me as a kid. Plus, the Burger King toys for Empire of the
1: Sun were way worse. So. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> wow. And then um, I would say uh, Pulp Fiction, or and not even Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, was one that I remember seeing on VHS... Um, at a moment when I was like, sort of, my appreciation of independent film was awakening, and that was a catalyst to to, to see Pulp Fiction, which I saw twice uh, in a row on the first day that it came out, probably. But Boogie Nights, uh, and uh, actually Swingers, probably. <laughs> and Swingers was a movie that I. Uh, responded to the uh, you know certainly the movies that it was referring to and echoing in a way that I thought was doing so I mean this was sort of a pre 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 the kind of pastiche that we now it's like we we look at movies that have references that as meaning um, and that was a movie that was just sort of about shared language and that was a different kind of thing but the thing about swingers to me was that I was a senior in college when it came out and I saw it and I went I think I need to like step my wardrobe game up. I mean, I'm not even kidding about this. Yeah. Like, I mean, as a kid, I was like into like sneakers and things, but it was like when I saw that I had been dressing more or less like a slob and I decided very actively to sort of make a, uh make a change. And I went through many, many awkward uh, transitional phases before I became the uh, picture of sartorial perfection that I am today but it was I a like cat it.
1: more or less. So,
3: um, I, like it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, like that's actually objective fact guys. Let's not, <laughs> let's,
1: well, we don't have to talk about how you killed best, best dressed Todd. Number one on Instagram to reclaim that title. But I mean, that's <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no one Sir. can prove that. No one can prove that. Yeah. Cause they, their Instagram has gone now. Um,
3: <laughs> yes, that's, exactly. you know,
1: it's, it's funny. You mentioned swingers and like the kind of that sort of impact. I was, I've been rewatching Brian Johnson's films for the last Jedi. Oh, yeah. uh, and I watched Looper the other day. I'd seen Looper in like probably a few since years it came now. Out? No, because I've, I've seen it since then, but I haven't watched it. You know, you get busy. I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> can't rewatch everything, and it's still great. Like Lo- 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 Looper was on my top ten that year. Uh, but Jeff Daniels has a great line in that movie where he's like, the, he talks, he's talking to Joseph Gordon Levitt. He says, uh, "The movies are dr- the movies you're dressing like are dressing lighter, like are just copying other movies." And it's like, yeah, I, I get that. I, I get exactly where he's coming from with right that. Where it's these kind of this this desire to Shape yourself around something because of something you're seeing and where that comes from to begin with. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting to see how that plays out. Mm. Also, Looper is great.
2: I don't know if you heard of this movie. Very maybe, good, but it's it's really <laughs> every... they explain time travel very very well. But I also
1: remember that the I remember we had a lot of discussion about the kid in that movie, the Rainmaker.
2: The Rainmaker. And the kid yeah. that plays
1: him, he's so good in that he's, role. He's, <laughs> like...
2: he's gone go on. He's gotten on to do like some more evil things though, hasn't
1: he? He did. Yeah, he was in some other like he was in what that Halle Berry show, that sci fi thing, uh, Extant. Uh he was he's been he's popped up in other places. Um but no, yeah, I, I still really like Looper to get us off track. <laughs> um all right, let's move on. All that right. was that was uh that was not enough feedback.
2: Feedback, feedback, feedback.
1: Let's uh, start wrapping things up here. Let's present let's do a little out now presents what's out now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu ray or D V D this week. Uh, first up, Kingsman, the Golden Circle.
2: Eh? eh? Yeah. Not, not, enough <laughs> not enough
1: Tatum. I didn't see it. I, I liked it better than the first one. I think it was fine. I didn't quite like it as much as the first one. Um, Home Again. Uh, that's the Reese With The Spoon? I believe so, yeah. <laughs> I, did <not> <laughs> I did not see it. I did not see it. That was directed by the daughter of Nancy Myers. Uh, Interesting. I'm okay. pretty sure, yeah it, was, yeah. it was like her daughter that did. Uh, Detroit is out this week. I was a big fan of Detroit.
0: I was not. I think it's I'm a I'm a while. big fan of Detroit, but I took a lot of crap for it. <laughs> I'm not allowed to like Detroit apparently. I'm by idiot. by
1: me you are because I think it's fantastic. <laughs> so there. This is safe
0: space for you, Luke. Uh,
1: the trip to Spain. I am a huge fan of the trip series, and I was very delighted by the trip to Spain.
0: Sure, see it. I want to see it. I haven't.
3: I also have not seen that. I, I don't watch movies apparently. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. You give <laughs> yeah, it, give it, oh. Abe shit.
0: <laughs> so, what are you Gee. some dilettante?
1: Uh, Wolf, <laughs> Wolf Warrior 2 one of the highest grossing films of the year Chinese action movie Fant- <laughs> it's fantastic I've seen yeah. it, it's great
2: <laughs> I certainly have to catch up on that
1: it is a lot of fun I really like Wolf Warrior 2 uh, Game of Thrones Season 7 the latest season of Game of Thrones sure if you didn't see it already, sure Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Luke Cage Season 1 yeah, that's a good. that's a good... Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan. That's That and Jessica Jones, my favorite Marvel Netflix Academy series. Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali is in it. it yes, it does have Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali.
0: I was not a fan of Luke Cage. I like Mahershala Ali in it, but I felt like there wasn't enough superpowers. And then the last villain after Mahershala was terrible. Yeah. No, it has its... Much like all the
1: Marvel shows, it's flawed. <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> like Luke Cage more than them. Uh, let's see. On Criterion this week, the Complete Monterey Pop Festival... Also, sure. no,
2: that
1: is. also election, which I love. Oh. Election is a great movie. I uh, I was I got to review the Criterion Blu-ray, and it that movie's so funny, um, and incredibly relevant. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, there's some weird connections you can make with things going on in election, but really good. And if you like the movie, you should get this Criterion disc because it has a great like oral history tracking like the whole like w- the the making of it with a lot of interviews from the cast and crew. Uh, that's one of. By the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's one of with Reese Witherspoon and uh, Matthew Broderick, and and of course Chris Klein. Uh,
0: any Alexander, I love that movie. For downsizing is a good bet. We'll
1: talk about downsizing in the coming weeks, Abe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we will. Yeah. But uh, I, I am an Alexander, I am an Alexander Payne fan, and this is certainly. It's a great, it's a great movie. It was, it was so great watching this again because it's just really funny, but also just like really well done. A lot of a lot of little jokes in there um let's see lastly what else is oh uh the horror
0: movie house out
1: this week on arrow blu-ray
0: i loved that years ago i haven't revisited <laughs> it in a while but i
1: i've
3: seen it a million years so i
0: really enjoyed it
1: when i first saw it I'm, I'm I cu- fondly i'm curious if the sequel's coming out house Two, the second story uh, think so uh, and I think I'm not even joking show. that is the title of the sequel that's, House. Really the, the yes, <laughs> that's really the title I
2: thought this was a really
1: clever pun <laughs>
0: no it's, it is a clever pun it's also the real movie House the Second Story
2: <laughs> I do think that a lot
0: <laughs> and I've been told the horror show which was retconned as House 3 is already out hmm. on a 2 huh. alright well that's out now, out now. now let's
1: do on the 2 extremely cool these your things that are now streaming on Netflix um, let's see The Crown Season 2 if you're a Crown oh, good fan thanks. For a lot of good things, I haven't watched it. Julia
0: just watched that entire season like today. Oh so. wow! <laughs> there you go.
1: Something called El Camino Christmas, which is from the director of Almost Christmas.
2: Uh, I it, mean, it's
1: I guess it's a Netflix original movie about Christmas and El Caminos. I, I think
2: t- and Jessica Alba and Tim Allen and Tim Allen. <laughs> yeah. Sure.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, Judd Apatow, The Return. I would assume I haven't seen the trailer. I would assume this is like a documentary tracking his kind of stand-up tour that he's been taking in recent years, if I had to guess. Okay. Which I'm intrigued by. Uh, let's see. Halt and Catch Fire, season four, which I believe is the final season. If you're a fan of that I show, heard you on think Netflix you love now. That show. Yeah. And lastly, Catwoman on Netflix this week. Holly <laughs> Barrett. Speaking of best worst movies, <laughs> I, I I'm not speaking of this because I hate Catwoman. I think it's a terrible movie and I don't want to watch it ever again. <laughs> but I'm just well, saying it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not good. No, it's not. Yeah, so that's extremely cool. So move on now. Next week, next week's show, Abe. We're talking Star Wars: colon, The
2: Last Jedi. Okay, I'm excited.
1: Good. All right, done with that. Last thing we do here. What should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next, Todd? What should people see in theaters right
3: now? Um, Shape of Water. I think. Um, you know, the a Lady Bird is utterly fantastic. Um, I mean, I absolutely adored that. Um, I think that Three Billboards, if that's still out...
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's out there.
3: Um, I think that it's worth seeing. Um, it is deservedly very polarizing. And I've read and shared many um, scathing uh, reviews of it uh, while still deeply admiring a lot about the movie. So I uh, I recommend those. And uh, the next movie I'm going to see is uh, Last Jedi. Luke?
0: Pretty much everything Todd said, but I would add, of course, the double feature of the Room and the Disaster Artist. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And you seeing Star Wars next? I assume. Yes. Yeah. It. Uh, I.
2: There's a lot of good movies out, but I super recommend Lady Bird as well. Um, and next, uh, Star Wars.
1: Yeah, uh, all the ones you guys mentioned are the ones that I would recommend. I would add. Because I keep adding this, Mudbound is right there in front of you.
3: You have Netflix, Netflix; you can watch yeah. it right it is, away. It is exceptional, and I, I would, I would agree with that completely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And also, because I was talking about this last week with the the um, the Voyager, the farthest is that documentary about the Voyager mission and like everything that went into Yeah. That's on Netflix now, and I was so like. So, Abe, after we talked about the Voyager... You want to go check it out? No, there. well, there was a whole bunch of, like, news articles about it the next day, about how, like, they've got back into contact of, with Voyager, because they had to, like, figure out a way to get the thrusters to work again, and this thing that's out there in outer space right now, like, out of our solar system, they were yeah. able to, like, they are able to do some stuff to make that happen.
2: Like, that's fascinating to me. And, it's and a- to think that some people are still on 2G. I mean, that's ridiculous, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> like- What's this thing
1: that's made of like duct tape and
2: like you know a piece of
1: metal like and it's out it's, there right does, now?
2: Does't it have like a copy of like some somebody like uh, of e t on there or something like that oh it
1: has it has well, it has this elaborate record which you can learn more about in the documentary right. but it was just like in the midst of terrible news going on right now, it's like this is such a neat story to read about like this this thing yeah. that America built and put into space and still out there that we're communicating with it so if you want to hear a whole movie about this, a whole documentary the farthest it's on Netflix now it's really good. Ooh. and yeah star wars it's an excellent. obviously come on what are we doing here <laughs> come on <laughs> guys all right with all that said that's going to do it for this week's episode about now Aaron and abe you can find more of my work on my personal blog the code you can find all my written movie reviews over there you can also find me writing on we live entertainment and you can find me on twitter at aaron's ps4 abe
2: you can find me on instagram at oakley Doakley and twitter.com slash wallace Moose, hashtag golden state warriors <laughs> okay did they win today uh, they just came back from a 16-win streak, but they're playing tomorrow.
3: Bored.
1: Okay. Um, <laughs> Todd Gilchrist, where can people find more of your work online?
3: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MT MTGilchrist, uh, and you can find um, ample evidence of my, again, impeccable personal <laughs> style. Um, not at, not at, at that phony best-dressed, but uh, the authentic best-dressed Todd
1: on instagram <laughs> luke thompson where can people find more of your work online
0: uh the easiest way is probably to go to rotten tomatoes and look up luke y thompson and i'm in there twice because i'm in there as an actor which is lists me erroneously as a celebrity which i am not
2: uh, <laughs> oh you I'm don't also, to be so modest
3: come on luke also, you are a celebrity in my world
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: i'm also lyt rules on twitter one word and you can search for my name again with the middle initial at forbes.com villagevoice.com and Nerdist.com.
1: Great. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now with their name over on iTunes as well as on Audio Boom.
2: Listen to us over at LED, SoundCloud, or Podomatic. Feel free to email us any thoughts you might have had
1: about the disaster artist, the shape of water, or anything we discussed over at gmail.com.
0: Facebook and is great. style. Definitely Todd's sartorial style. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm on his Instagram right now, checking out his style. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook.com slash Out Now Podcast, or you can Twitter us at Twitter.com slash Out Now underscore podcast. And
1: of course there's our Tumblr page dot tumblr.com send us plenty of gifts of horrible things happening to James Franco over there that'd be that'd be great to see mainly the one, 127 hours gifts those are always fun always a bucket of laughs that's what we say about those um <laughs> Luke Todd thank you both for joining us this thank evening Thank you both this Thank is you. Great. this is a blast Yeah thanks a lot Anytime for sure And, uh, yeah, so, Luke, you you managed to find yourself in a great loophole where you didn't play games with us this week. So normally when we have games on the show, if you get an answer right and you get on the board, you get to come back to the podcast. You've escaped this, so now by default I guess I'm allowed to have you back on the podcast without having played a game yet. So you're in good territory right now. Yes. Yeah, so there you go. Todd, you're lucky. We'll just put it that way. I mean, you're talking (laughs) about how great you dress. I believe it for the most part, but, you know, there's a lot of outtakes that we're probably not seeing. So the word's still out. Oh, I'm,
3: I'm, I'm the best. That's, that is just true. confidence. (laughs) All right.
1: Well, until next week, when we discover just who is this last Jedi, it's Luke. Uh, That's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking another two movies this week. It is The Shape of Water and The Disaster. Excuse me. Okay, start that over. (laughs)